Wow. <laughs> That's a lot. You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. W-A-P-G. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 474. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 27th of May, 2021. today's episode, Belarus violates aviation norms by forcing an international flight to land and arresting an opposition journalist on board. The NTSB blames the pilots for a Texas plane crash two years ago, which killed 10 people. More news, your feedback, and today's plane tale. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 474 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He is an award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 10-10 wins in New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It is an aviation podcast where we talk about aviation news and answer your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, Georgia. And joining me today from her lakeside studio in South... Doctor, skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated backstabbing jumper, dumper, (laughs) not captain, doctor stuff. I'm the captain now. (laughs) Yes. I need that meme. Uh, I was also going to add to it and apparently allergy sufferer, so Uh apologies right off the bat for scratchy voice, occasional sniffles, uh, sneezing, coughing, all that stuff. I will try to mute as I am able to. So you sound like to, a commercial. You all don't have to suffer with me. <laughs> you sound like the yeah, commercials. Yeah, I think it's um, NyQuil or DayQuil yeah. or Alka-Seltzer or something. I don't know. And what's really amazing is that uh, right before you said allergy sufferer, that's what Liz said as well in my in my ears. So uh, you're <laughs> Great all minds the same. Alike, yes. Great Not minds think alike, Not sure about that, alike. but okay. Um, let's uh, Let's get right on with the news. Stand by for news. Okay, the first thing we're going to talk about, we have talked about this accident in previous, uh, at least on a previous episode, maybe episodes, uh, and they now have a, uh, I think it's the final report, isn't it? Um, yeah, final report. So this accident uh, occurred back in June of 2019, so almost two years ago. Um, the failure of a pilot, by the way, this is from the NTSB.gov, a press release from them. The failure of a pilot to control an airplane following the loss of thrust in one of two engines just seconds after takeoff led to the fatal crash 
of a general aviation airplane in Texas, the National Transportation Safety Board said in a report published Tuesday. A Textron Aviation B-300, also known as a King Air 350, crashed into an aircraft hangar 17 seconds after lifting off a runway at Addison Airport, Addison, Texas, on June 30, 2019. The accident killed both pilots and all eight passengers. The personal flight on the privately owned airplane was bound for St. Petersburg, Florida. Investigators analyzed flight track data broadcast by the airplane, video from multiple cameras on on and off the airport, as well as the known flight performance data and characteristics of the airplane to recreate the accident flight path and determine the airplane's position, speed, altitude, and roll angles. The NTSB said in its report that after the left engine lost almost all thrust several seconds after takeoff, the pilot responded to the emergency with left rudder input, the opposite action of what the emergency called for. Seconds later, the pilot applied right rudder, but by that point, the airplane was rolling inverted and there was insufficient altitude for recovery. Investigators determined that had the pilot initially applied right rudder input, which would be the correct rudder input, the airplane would have been controllable. The audio from the cockpit voice recorder revealed the pilots did not call for any of the checklists that would typically be used before takeoff, nor did they discuss what they would do in the case of a loss of engine thrust on takeoff or any other emergency procedure. The NTSB said the pilot's failure to follow checklists and adhere to the airplane manufacturer's emergency procedures contributed to the accident. A detailed examination of the left engine and its control systems found no condition that would have prevented normal operation. The NTSB noted that there was a known risk of an unintentional movement of an engine power lever if its friction lock was adjusted incorrectly. Friction lock settings are one of the items in the pre-takeoff checklist that the pilots failed to use. Investigators were Unable to determine if the friction lock settings played a role in the loss of thrust on the left engine, the cause for a loss of engine thrust could not be determined. And that was because I think most of the throttle quadrant and all that part of the airplane um, suffered a lot of damage in the post-crash fire. So they couldn't really tell uh, with any certainty what the friction lock, you know, was what position it was in. And the full report will be... uh, in the show notes uh, for you to read if you'd like. It's it's a quite long um, document. Uh, forgot how many pages it is, but it's, it's 22 like pages. 22, 22 pages. pages. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it seems, Steph, that a lot of these engine failure and then crashes right after takeoff happen quite often, or maybe it's just coincidental, on the, uh, the Beechcraft King Airs. Um, yeah, so I have very little time in a King Air, but I've talked to folks who fly the King Air, and if you are out there and fly the King Air, um, it's things happen fast mm-hmm. in that aircraft. So if you have an emergency, it tends to be a little on the, the twitchy side. That's mm. the technical term for it. Oh, yeah, so, twitchy. Yeah. Um, if you're not, yeah, if you're not right on, yeah, twitchy, twitchy. <laughs> um, you know, but I, I think what they're getting at is that there are other aircraft, multi-engine aircraft that are a little bit more, things just happen a little slower when you have a, an emergency like this, not so much in the, in the King Air. So um, if you apply incorrect rudder input with a, an engine failure, 
um, it's going to be a lot less, uh, or it's not going to be very forgiving at all, which is obviously what happened here. You know, initially he they had the left engine failure and he applied uh, left rudder input probably only momentarily, you know, uh, this was only 17 seconds after takeoff anyway, um, probably re immediately realized it. And it was just by the time he got the, the right rudder um, input in, it was too late. Um, so, yeah. And, and, you know, the, the NTSB, I think, is kind of hinting at a lot of things here that they don't, uh, you know, just all those uh, Swiss cheese holes that we talk about in terms of, hey, you know, they didn't run the pre-takeoff checklist. So potentially did they not do something with the um, friction lock there. So was it something that um, contributed? You know, I think they're they're kind of hinting at, you know, hey, if you're a pilot out there and you're reading this report, um, these are things you need to keep in mind every single flight so that you don't put yourself in this situation. Right. And what's sad about it is that it sounds to me like they're kind of intimating that it was a perfectly good air, uh, engine that, just yeah. kind of yeah, um, they couldn't find a specific reason why it lost thrust. So right, um, yeah, I think the uh, the co-pilot um, didn't have the certification or type rating to uh, actually fly that particular airplane, and I guess it was the policy um, of the the company or whatever that flies the airplane that uh, only the mm -hmm. captain would be um, manipulating or touching the controls um, sure. when passengers were on board. And, sure. um, so they're, they're surmising that the, uh, the co-pilot just kept hands off the entire time, but he did mention to the, to the, uh, captain or the, uh, the pilot, um, in, uh, pilot in command that the, uh, the rudder should be the right rudder. Uh, but by that time, I think he had already pressed, uh, the, uh, left rudder, the wrong rudder. And, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. it was just, it was just too late and not enough altitude to, uh, to recover. Yeah, um, this was right on right on takeoff. Um, mm -hmm. So a lot of in, uh, input already from our, our chat room here, folks who have experience or experience in similar aircraft. So one comment says they fly the, from Dale, uh, he flies the Beach 1900 Stretch King Air, essentially, which has an auto feather system, um, which is a no-go item on the 1900. Um, and then Pilot Pip is there and he says it has auto feather, but no rudder boost. So these are all things that will help um in the event of a engine failure um, but i don't think this particular model had doesn't auto yeah i don't know that the king air has a by default has an auto feather system they think it's nope. an option to order i looked at the so. report and it uh, said that uh, that was one of the uh steps of the emergency procedure um if you lose engine power is to oh, feather sure. yep. the uh yep, the, the engine so i don't think there was an auto feather mm -hmm. on this one feather and secure yep exactly mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. and he didn't do any of that um, also yeah, he I mean, was known 17 to, seconds too. So. He was also known to have, um, the reputation, uh, that he just never runs checklists or briefs, anything. So, oh, yeah, that's yeah. not a good, that's not a great reputation to, uh, to have. Well, he made it to 71 years of age and, uh, apparently he suffered from sleep apnea as well. So they think that that may have contributed as well, as far as physiological factors in this. Uh, yeah, that's, lots that's of stuff. probably hard to say. Like I said, they hinted a lot of things in here. Um, nothing that you could probably say absolutely were contributing, but potentially mm -hmm. contributing, definitely. Yeah. A lot more detail in the uh, actual NTSB report. So y'all should check it out. I think that's every everybody, even you know people that don't fly multi-engine airplanes or, or fly 
uh, turboprops can can learn something from this and there's, understand the there's importance. There's always something to be learned from accident reports. Right. Um, you know, read them. Make sure you don't put yourself in those situations, if, if at all possible. Yeah. And what's really sad, Liz and I were talking about this before we recorded, uh, you know, the, the eight passengers that hired uh, this airplane to take them to St. Petersburg, they're expecting that the, the flight crew is going to be competent and be able to handle any situation. That's what you're trained for, right? And uh, sure. sadly, it didn't work out that way. All right. Uh, the second item that we have in our news notebook is uh, an update on the crash of the Srivijaya. Let me see how I, how I did with that. Um, hang on. Can you hear me now? Yeah. I can hear you now. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Good. Um, okay. Let's see. You have, to say, you have to say it in that high voice. Shri- okay. Liz says I have to say it in a higher voice. Pardon the interruption. When we're recording the show live, the only person who can hear me is Captain Jeff. Now he's decided to include my audio here in the post-show edit. Lucky you. Enjoy. You have to sing it too, remember? Oh yeah. Well, hang on. Srivijaya. How's that? Srivijaya. Air. Um... Seven thirty-seven dash five hundred that crashed. Uh, they took off out of Jakarta on January 9th, twenty twenty-one. They lost height and impacted the Java Sea on May eighteenth, twenty twenty-one. The FAA released their airworthiness directive AD twenty twenty-one dash zero eight dash fourteen, stating this airworthiness directive was prompted by a flap synchro wire failure that may go undetected by the auto throttle computer. This AD requires repetitive bite, which stands for built-in test equipment. So it requires repetitive bite tests of the autothrottle computer to detect a flap synchro wire failure and corrective action if necessary. The FAA is issuing this AD to address the unsafe condition on these products. Um, Let's see. The FAA argued uh, the FAA previously issued AD 2023-34. Amendment 39, blah, 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 in December of 2000, which applies to all Boeing Model 737, 300, 400, and 500 series airplanes and requires replacing the existing autothrottle computer with a new improved autothrottle computer that included an asymmetric cruise thrust monitor. On January 9th, 2021, the... Uh, Sri Air was uh, involved in an accident, um, and there were 62 fatalities. Okay, we already knew this. This is um, just kind of recapping the uh, accident here. Um, at this time, the preliminary data uh, on of the ongoing accident investigation shows that it is highly unlikely that the accident resulted from the latent failure of the flap synchro wire. However, the FAA has determined that the unsafe condition identified in this AD could exist or develop in model 737, 300, 400, and 500 series airplanes, and that this AD is therefore necessary to address the identified unsafe condition. Uh, The FAA has confirmed that accomplishment of the applicable bite test in the existing airplane maintenance manual detects the flap synchro wire failure. I'm not really sure what a flap synchro wire does, except that maybe it it, uh, looks at the flaps on 
both wings and if there is a make sure that there there's no discrepancy between the that's what it two. sounds like yeah that synchronization yeah. of the flaps extending and we need jeff this is who we need yeah oh we need the rickipedia liz says mm. yeah where are you rick come on get off come the phone on. and join us <laughs> um but anyway i actually did uh tell rick that he should you know look up if he doesn't already know which i'm sure he probably already does know what a flap synchro wire is that he should brush up on it and he can tell us all about it hey everyone it's miami rick from uh sunny southern california um got him from uh hawaii earlier today um it was it was a good flight you know left about uh what was it um midnight california time it was about a five-hour flight so uh we got in here obviously about you know just just past five uh, past five in the morning so it was starting to get light out um but the sun wasn't quite uh out yet which was nice so uh especially flying eastbound uh i tell you one of my one of my least favorite favorite parts of flying is flying eastbound and having the sun you know slap you in the face and it's, <laughs> it's really it's really not one of my one of my favorites but anyway, I wanted to touch on um, this update on the uh, crash of the Sarawaya 737-500 that happened in Jakarta um, earlier uh, this year. Uh, this is off the Aviation Herald. It says here, on May 18th, 2021, the FAA released their Airworthiness Directive, AD 2021-08-14 stating that this AD was prompted by a flap synchro wire failure that may go undetected by the autothrottle computer. Uh, this AD requires repetitive byte built-in test equipment tests for the autothrottle computer to detect flap synchro wire failure and corrective action if necessary. So as as um, says up here, so an AD airworthiness directive is a communique put out by the FAA regarding a uh, mandatory uh, action that needs to be uh, taken uh, maintenance-wise. Um, uh, reading on here says the FAA is issuing this AD to address the unsafe condition on these products. The FAA argued, and as quotes, uh, the FAA argued the FAA previously issued AD 2002334, Amendment 39-12007, uh, dated uh, December 4th, 2000, which applies to all Boeing models 737, 300, 400, and 500 series and requires replacing the existing autothrottle computer with a new improved autothrottle computer that includes an, an asymmetric cruise thrust monitor. So I guess the um, pre-2000, the uh, autothrottle computer did not have an asymmetric cruise thrust monitor. Keep that word in mind, cruise thrust monitor, cruise. Um, reading on here says, uh, January 9th, 2021, a model 737-500 series, Operated by Surawaya, was involved in an accident in a flight from Jakarta. There were 62 fatalities. During the ongoing investigation, Bell reported that a flap synchro wire failure may go undetected by the autothrottle computer on the affected airplanes. Uh, further investigation has revealed that the design update for the autothrottle computer required by the AD back in 2000 does not properly account for a possible latent failure of the flap position sensor. Um, and that is the synchro synchronous motor we're going to get into that in a little bit um which is which is one of the data components needed to provide the logic necessary for the asymmetric cruise thrust monitor to operate failure of the asymmetric cruise thrust monitor to engage 
during a large thrust asymmetry event could result in loss of control of the airplane. At this time, the preliminary data of the uh, ongoing accident investigation shows that it is highly unlikely that the accident resulted from the latent failure of the flap sinker wire. Hmm. That's interesting. However, the FAA has determined that the unsafe condition identified in this AD could exist or develop in model uh, 737-300-400-500 series, and that this AD is therefore necessary to address the identified unsafe condition. Uh, the FAA has confirmed that accomplishment of the applicable bite test in the existing airplane maintenance manual detects the flap synchro wire failure. Okay, this test is currently not required to be performed repetitively, leading to a potential latent failure if the test is not performed regularly, which will be required by this AD. Okay, so this AD makes it mandatory, so you have to you have to check for this uh, um, potential flap sinker wire failure uh, doing a, a bite test or a built-in test equipment test. Uh, models 737-100s and 200s uh, are not affected by this AD because the uh, autothrottle design difference is not subject to the identified unsafe condition. Uh, so then it goes on to say here, uh, the period of time, so it says here within 250 hours or two months after the effective date of this AD, whichever occurs first, so that's when, when it has to be performed. And on and on and on and on. Okay, so basically... What is a synchro uh, wire? Uh, well, a synchro, or, or let's just start with synchro for synchro is short for synchronous, synchronous motor. And uh, uh, very basically what that is, is it's a small device um, that is, uh, so you basically have two synchro motors where you have one placed, in this case, for example, at a uh, point in the flap, drive mechanism right and this synchro motor synchronous motor is going to send that position information by a wire synchro wires to another synchro motor in the cockpit right so all synchronous motors do is transfer position information uh, from one end of the airplane to another so as the flap mechanism moves and the flaps deploy um, the synchromotor is attached to set uh, uh, mechanism and uh, it, uh, it it turns and that movement or turn of the motor is going to be sent electrically to the other synchromotor and the cockpit uh, which will you know most likely be connected to the um, flat position indicator up in the flight deck uh, there are other systems that require, uh, that need this uh, this type of information as per what we were reading here, uh, one of them being the autothrottle computer. Uh, and so I guess you have a synchro wire uh, that goes from the synchro motor that is attached to the flap mechanism. Uh, that wire goes to the autothrottle computer. And I guess the reason why that's important uh, per this AD here is because for the... Let me go back up here for the uh, um, asymmetric cruise thrust monitor to work. Which remember, if if we read back up here, it says that the uh, the AD 
back in 2000 set that you needed to change the auto throttle computer uh, and the, auto, the new auto throttle computer had to be equipped with an asymmetric cruise thrust monitor. So I guess for the asymmetric cruise thrust monitor to engage during a large thrust asymmetry event, as it says up here, the um, information on flat position needs to be sent to the auto throttle computer because I guess that's the only way the auto throttle computer has of knowing whether the aircraft's in cruise or not, because you would obviously have the flaps up in the cruise. And so if there's a disconnect between the synchro motor and the flap um, uh, mechanism between there and the auto throttle computer, then the auto throttle computer wouldn't know whether the airplane's in cruise or not. And And if it doesn't know whether the airplane's in cruise or not, the asymmetric cruise thrust monitor would not engage in the event of a, um, large uh, dissimilar thrust condition between the left and the right end, which is what apparently happened here. Uh, so uh, interesting. Um, I still don't understand why the, um, um, the thrust on the left engine as I was reading uh, the, uh, the accident report a little earlier, apparently when they were climbing through about 8,000 feet, the left engine started reducing so the, the position of the of the left engine, uh, the, the thrust lever on the left engine was starting to reduce. And obviously, as that happened, the N1 or the thrust parameter of the thrust of the left engine started reducing as well, while the right engine remained in uh, normal cruise and normal SRA climb power. Um, and so and this happened apparently from about 8000 to about 10,000 feet and before the airplane started turning. And then the situation went out of control from then. Um, that tells me maybe that the, uh, uh, well, not, not maybe, but certainly that the crew, uh, may have not, uh, uh, caught that in time, uh, which is why it's important to, uh, always keep your hands on, you uh, on, on the controls. I mean, uh, even, even, even if you're flying an autopilot, it's, uh, it's important to, you know, keep your, your, your left hand on the yoke, your right hand on the throttles if, or, you know, or vice versa. If you're the first officer of flying, um, to really, you know, see what the airplane, feel what the airplane's doing. Yeah, the automation's working, but um, it may not work. Uh, it may not always work, as 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 seen here in this case. So that's what I have on the uh, flap synchro uh, wire issue here. Um, really interesting seeing how this uh, develops. Uh, all right, that's it from Southern California. I'll be heading back out to Hawaii uh, tomorrow for uh, another one of uh, another, uh, what, my second to last uh, out and back to Hawaii. And then in June, I am flying um, just lower 48 stuff. I'll be going um, uh, between uh, Illinois, uh, so Chicago, down to Dallas, over to California, and uh, just basically, you know, east-west uh, type stuff as far east as uh, Wilmington and uh, Rockford and uh, on the west side here in California as far west as Stockton. So uh, it'll be a nice change of uh, pace for me. All right, that's it for now, and we'll talk to you again soon. Miami Ridge signing off. Uh, again, kind of, you know, kind of hinting that maybe this had something to do, maybe not the cause of the crash, but something that may have occurred that perhaps distracted the flight crew or something. And 
let and didn't you know mind the store and keep flying the airplane and the airplane just got went out of control i don't know that's all speculation of course but just odd that it's kind of mentioned in the on, ongoing investigation of the uh of the uh Sri Vijaya air um investigation Sri Vijaya. <laughs> <laughs> i think liz is enjoying that that's good we're getting some entertainment value <laughs> I'm easily entertained. <laughs> yes, you are easily entertained. Okay. Anything uh, to add or subtract, uh, Steph? I mean, I could probably subtract a lot from it. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> the Swirvijaya. Yeah. Swirvijaya. <laughs> yeah. That's like nailed it. Um, <laughs> Oops. <laughs> I did not say that. No, I don't. I don't know anything about these systems, unfortunately. So unless Rick joins us later on and can add something more to what oh, you've already it, read from Steph, the. I'm not sorry. Good for anything. Just I know. <laughs> just go blow today. your nose. <laughs> um, just, just go blow your nose. I'll move on. I'm going to, to. next <laughs> next news item. Uh, let's see here. By the way, for those listening only to the audio only, uh, Steph is suffering from allergies. Of course, kind of mentioned that at the very beginning. Okay, uh, this uh, item C is an ins. Oh, this is. This is an uh, interesting yeah, one. Yeah, this is this is news. Um, yes, definitely news. Um, sent in by many of you uh, who listen to the show, and um, one of whom uh, will identify as Texas Amlashock, and he sent a link to this article about the uh, Ryanair that was basically hijacked by um, a state. Um, Belarus. Anyway, he says, needless to say, there will be fallout from this. Many countries have already condemned the action, but I find myself wondering what the ramifications for aviation will be. I would think carriers in the region would be a little more wary about flying through their airspace, considering this flight wasn't even heading there. It was just passing through or passing over. Uh, would they go as far as trying to route flights completely around Belarus? Uh, it's not the largest country in the region. It's still, but it's still a fairly sizable one. Love to hear your take on this. So, okay. So the article that uh, everybody was pointing us to, or one very similar to this one, um, and this one is from Aviation Herald, the Ryanair Sun B737-800 uh, near Minsk on May 23rd, 2021, uh, which Greece called a... Uh, the diversion of state hijack. Uh, let's see. They were performing flight 4978 from Athens to Vilnius, Lithuania, with 126 passengers and six crew. Was en route at flight level 390, about 45 nautical miles south of Vilnius, still in Belarus airspace, when the aircraft diverted to Minsk in Belarus, uh, located about 90 nautical miles east of their present position where the aircraft landed safely about 25 minutes later. Now I have a, I have two questions um, or yeah, like okay, they're at flight level three nine zero and they're only 45 nautical miles South of the airport that they were intending to land on that slam dunk. Yeah. That's like really <laughs> steep descent. Not gonna, not, yeah. yeah. Um, not a typical airline flight descent. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing mm -hmm. is, um, Why go 90 nautical miles out of your way if you need to be on the ground sooner rather than later and you're 
intended yes. point of landing is 45 nautical miles. Right. I so have the same questions, Jeff. Twi- you know, twice as far. Um, and I guess they were intercepted by a MiG-29, I believe, fighter, that had uh, been dispatched Correct. to intercept and force the Boeing to land at Minsk. Now, the reason for this forced diversion was they claimed that there was some sort of a bomb threat. And let me see if I can find the, uh, uh, let's see. It was, uh, it said something about it being, uh, called in from Switzerland, but, um, the Swiss said, uh, yeah, we don't know what they're talking about because, um, we didn't receive any kind of a bomb threat and we didn't contact the country of Belarus to let them know that the airplane had a bomb threat. I can't find it now for some reason. Anyway, um, so that was the, uh, the, the purported uh, reason that the uh, airplane was intercepted by the MiG-29 and forced to land in Minsk. Um, let's see. The circumstances of the diversion are entirely unclear. No official confirmation is available so far. Of course, we know a little bit more now since this article was written. Um, turns out that um, they landed. They took out a bunch. Of, I saw a picture of uh, all the bags on the on the ramp being supposedly uh, inspected for a bomb. Um, and then almost all the passengers got back on the airplane, except for, I think now the official word is five passengers, uh, one of whom, uh, his name is, uh, Roman Protasevich or Protasevich, uh, who is threatened with the death penalty because he, let's see, he has uh, run a channel on telegraph, uh, called, where was all this information I had? Now I can't find, um, anyway, uh, he's an opposition. He's a journalist He's also an activist against the present um, government of Belarus, and they consider him a um, a problem and a terrorist, in their words, and that uh, they uh, wanted to, I guess they just wanted to talk to him. And so they forced the airplane down, and he and uh, his fiance, um, I think it was a fiance or a girlfriend, um, were taken off the airplane, along with three Russians who didn't get back on the airplane to continue their trip to <laughs> Lithuania. So, little, uh, yeah, she was a girlfriend, fiance, Russian citizen. And also, I've been reading some news reports since this uh, that um, they have been torturing um, the, uh, the young man. And uh, okay. it's a big mess. Yeah, um, definitely, you know, Involving aviation, but very political in nature, uh, or completely political in nature, I should okay. say. Um, Let's see. Um, but we could go back up to that. We have some questions. Oh, do we? Um, about this from the from an aviation standpoint. Okay. Did we read that already from Texas and Lashak? Uh, yeah. He said, "What what were the implications for the yeah. aviation?" And yes, yeah. uh, there have already been. Well, go ahead, Steph. You probably know. Yeah, I mean, there's there's certainly airlines already who are not going to be overflying that airspace for the time being, perhaps foreseeable future. Um, can't take the risk that they'd be 
perhaps carrying a, a passenger of interest to Belarus who might uh, decide to force them to land there as well so that they could detain their passengers and, um, you know, create more political havoc. Um, I think that's probably going to be the, the biggest issue, uh, you know, aside from, um, yeah, just, I, I mean, fortunately it's not a, a huge country, so it's not like you're having to avoid, you know, say, all of Russia or Canada or China or something like that, but still it's um, it's an inconvenience for airlines. And some were saying airlines. that's a kind of a, to, to kind of ban flights from overflying Belarus, it's it the there's a like a, another problem because it's that's next to Ukraine and there are already parts of Ukraine that are kind of off limits for Double several years. so it's like a big chunk of geography that they're having to go around um, and uh, yeah not not a good situation there um, yeah several several countries have already banned their uh, their airlines from flying over that airspace and. Uh, the, uh, I think it's a national airline of Belarus, um, Belavia, has canceled flights to eight countries, it said in the statement. Flights to a number of destinations, including Amsterdam, Berlin, Barcelona, and the Russian city of Kaliningrad, I'm not sure, uh, would be canceled until October 30th due to several countries imposing flight bans on it. Uh, Air France canceled a flight between Paris and Moscow on Wednesday after failing to receive Russian authorization to bypass the Belarusian airspace. Okay, so that's another, I guess, kink in the uh, mm -hmm. situation there because they have to get overflight permission from Russia, and Russia's saying no. <laughs> no. So it's a, it's a mess. That, this is really, and it's against the, um, several people have said the Chicago Convention, I think is what they are Stating a, to prevent something like this from happening, and uh, basically Belarus says, "Well, oh well." <laughs> Shrug. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm not sure that Belarus is particularly worried about that at the moment. Mm -mm. Um, no, not at all. So it's really it, this is concerning. I mean, th this is the way uh, like major yeah. <laughs> major conflicts uh, are started. Strife. Yeah. Exactly. You know? yeah. So are you glad you fly domestically, Jeff. Yes, I am. Well, Liz. well, I guess. Liz says, "Are you glad you fly domestically, Jeff?" Yes, I'm. Yes. I'm happy to fly in the domestic United States of America. Airspace, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Steph. Uh, I, I forgot you. what I was going to say. I'm ah. sorry. That's okay. Okay. It wasn't anything super important. Anyway, uh, yeah. Uh, seems that KGB agents were inside the airplanes. Yeah, the, apparently three of them. Well, clearly they had <laughs> access to the, you know, passenger manifests and mm -hmm. knew who was on board. And that was someone they wanted to talk to. And they said, oh, look at this. Yeah. This guy's going to fly right over our airspace. And this will be the perfect opportunity for us to intercept and get him on the ground and, um, you know. Nab him. Try to get information out of him that we would like. Yeah. And maybe not the best ways possible. No. Yeah. And as I mentioned, uh, one of the news articles here from um, MSN News said that uh, there is a video of him and it appears to several people uh, that uh, he has been tortured and uh, looks like there was some kind of a mm. scar or, or wound that they had tried to cover up with, uh, 
with makeup. Really scary. Yeah, it's just really, yeah, it's chilling, actually, very chilling. Yeah. Very chilling, yeah. <sighs> so hopefully. We need uh, Jason Bourne. We do need Jason Bourne. Thank you, Liz. Where is he when you need him? I don't know. All right. Or, or Bond, James Bond. Yeah. yeah. All right. Some sort of intelligence agent. Right. Operative. Well, not from our yeah. show. Okay. <laughs> what? No intelligence in our show? Is that what you're saying, Liz? Correct. <laughs> Thank you. That's correct. <laughs> Wham. Butt slammed. All right. Let's, and by the way, don't look that up on Google. <laughs> I would um, be out. I have questions, but I'm not going to seek the answers. Good. Moving on? Yeah, just trust me on that. Okay, uh, let's see. The next item, let's move on quickly. Uh, this is, oh, this is another interesting one. Uh, Arion, we've been talking about Arion Supersonic quite a bit on our show in, in recent episodes. Uh, Arion Supersonic, which had touted plans to build a $375 million dollar jet building facility at Orlando Mel it's not even near well it's I guess sort of close to Orlando the Melbourne International Airport abruptly announced Friday it was shutting down the AS2 supersonic business jet program meets all market technical regulatory and sustainability requirements and the market for a new supersonic segment of general aviation has been validated with 11.2 billion dollars in sales backlog for the AS2 a company statement released Friday afternoon said, oh, it sounds like an exciting announcement. However, comma, in the current financial environment, it has proven hugely challenging to close on the scheduled and necessary large new capital requirements to finalize the transition of the AS2 into production, the statement said. Given these conditions, the Arion Corporation is now taking the appropriate steps in consideration of this ongoing financial environment. So basically, <laughs> they, they put the kibosh on this whole thing. Now, I don't know if it's a permanent mm -hmm. thing or just a temporary um, setback, but it looks pretty seriously like it's they're giving up. And I, I'm really kind of surprised because we've talked about the fact that several big-name companies involved in aviation, like Boeing, like General Electric, have been you know, investing a lot of money in this. In fact, Boeing announced a partnership that included a significant investment in engineering, manufacturing, and flight, flight test resources. Uh, also, they were going to put in some marketing efforts behind the AS2. Um, Spirit Aerosystems, not the airline, but the, the company that makes fuselages for several of the Boeing jets, or at least the 737 jets, um, announced a collaborative agreement for the development of the pressurized forward fuselage. And they were going to make several of those for the company. But And then, of course, FlexJet, back in 2015, I believe, um, put in orders for 20 of the jets, which was like over, I don't know, well, it was $120 million a piece. So do the math. A lot of money um, involved in that. And then, of course, we heard recently that NetJets also put in um, – not firm orders, but uh, options, or I'm not sure exactly their intention. Letters of intent, or something. yeah, yeah, letter of intent, intent to purchase like 20 of them, but that wasn't as solid as the as the uh, FlexJet um, commitment to buy these jets. And 
just kind of scratching my head. You know, I, I was mentioning to Liz when we were talking about this earlier in the week that uh, I fly into Melbourne on occasion. And last few times I was there, I was kind of looking in a right. It's right across from where our terminal is in our gates. And I'm looking at the hangar area where they're going to build this big uh, construction facility. And I'm thinking, it doesn't look like anything is going on over there. I mean, it's just like hmm, quiet. Kind of suspicious, huh? Yeah. I, thought, yeah. Why? I, thought, I would think by now that there would be, because they were talking about getting this thing going. And... Like, yeah, soon. And uh, yeah, nothing, nothing looked like it was happening. And so maybe they've been having issues with financing capital investments. Well, that's basically what they're saying. Yeah. They weren't able to get the, you know, the upfront capital that they needed to get things going. Yeah. They Mm -hmm. have a lot of orders, but how much of that is actual money in their pockets right at this moment they can use to build the production facility and actually manufacture aircraft. Mm -hmm. Probably not a lot of it. No, apparently not. Dale yeah. has an interesting Represents comment Represents future earnings from sales of aircraft, but... Well, Dale Williams says, Arion, thanks to COVID, time is not an issue. Everything can be done via Zoom. Well, could yeah. be part of it as well. Which, yeah, speed of... I think they... And Arnie says, they did not manage to soften the supersonic boom to allow flight over populated areas. Well, they... Well, I don't, I don't know if that's the issue or not. I mean, is it an engineering technological issue that they weren't able to accomplish um, or is it strictly financial? The the article makes it sound more like a financial issue, um, which I could see. And um, I agree with, with Dale, you know, uh, there might just, well, I agree. And I, I'm not sure I agree because they have a lot of, they had a lot of um, interested parties who had put in orders and options. So um, even though most things can be, or a lot of things can be done over the internet, Zoom meetings, FaceTime calls, um, there's still always going to be some market for people needing to get from point A to point B right. quickly and Neil's willing to pay for it. The question I um, yeah. But yeah, Neil, maybe someone just took off with the money. Yeah, Who knows? I, I had kind of that feeling too. Disappeared. Like, yeah, what what happened to all those billions of dollars? I have this great idea for an, for a, a new <laughs> supersonic jet. Uh-huh. If you all would like to just, we'll, we'll oh, do, do it you? on Kickstarter. Well, you know mm-hmm. what, Steph? Funny you should mention yep. that. Several people now, because Arion was one of the big companies, you know, along with Boom and uh, another couple uh, developing supersonic um, aircraft for the future. Um, so that's Arion dropping out has kind of um, uh, made a, a created void, a created a vacuum in this whole thing. And uh, sure. so I was able to um, obtain some uh, video of uh, several companies. Uh, uh, deeply immersing themselves um, and, you know, getting their feet wet in uh, trying to come up with a, a replacement for um, Arion. Here we go. So, uh, okay, here are some uh, contenders for the uh, supersonic. So I always wanted to do this. They got rid of this event before I was able to participate or figure out a way to participate. No, what are you talking about? This, this is, is a, the... this is an officially sanctioned supersonic <laughs> aircraft. Uh, they're just, te- as I said, they're they're testing the waters. <laughs> so, for those not watching, this is the, the video- Red Bull uh, Flugtag <laughs> event, correct? I guess I, I people I found this- make their own home-built gliders and then they just launch them off of this platform to see who can go the farthest and not fall off of the thing. Well, and it usually we, doesn't go very well. This guy right here does okay. Look, he stayed on. Oh, yeah, look, he made it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Larry. Larry uh, Geezer oh, in uh, Tulsa, oh. Oklahoma. 
uh, sent this in to us. And I thought, I told Liz, I said, I have a perfect place for this. <laughs> so uh, Red Bull, I think, has sanctioned this uh, event. And you, you said they don't Red do this Bull. anymore? They don't do it anymore, as far uh, as I know, or at least they got rid of it for a while, but Red uh, Bull Fluke Tug. But it's basically a build-your-own glider craft and then try to launch it off of a platform and see how far it will go. Uh, and don't fall off of it in the process, or let it fall apart. <laughs> One of these... Jeff, can you ask Steph if we get a copy of her album if we invest in her supersonic jet? Oh. <laughs> yeah, so um, Liz is asking uh, if we invest in your supersonic jet project yes do we yes. get a free copy of your album um yeah i can guarantee that okay <laughs> you'll never see your money again though <laughs> or an airplane <laughs> or, or an album <laughs> or an album <laughs> yeah okay Anyway, well, there you go. That was a little fun. I know. Uh, sorry, uh, Arion. I, I didn't mean for it to be at your expense, but um, yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Um, so we'll keep our uh, eyes and ears open to find out what happens uh, with this whole Arion supersonic thing. Hopefully, uh, they'll be able to recover from it and and you know move forward. But I don't know. I was actually kind of surprised that you know. That many that these companies were investing so much money in it because I was just thinking I don't know if this is a good investment or not. But anyway, ah, that's neither here nor there. Um, let's continue with our last item in the news, and this one is from CNBC.com. Virgin Galactic completes their first space flight in over two years in a step toward finishing development. Virgin Galactic um, is de uh, developing a space tourism system, and they uh, successfully flew its, as I just mentioned, their first safe, uh, space flight in more than two years. The company's spacecraft named VSS Unity was carried up to an altitude of about 44,000 feet by a carrier aircraft called VMS EVE. The aircraft then released the aircraft, which fired its rocket engine and accelerated to more than three times the speed of sound. After performing a slow backflip in microgravity at the edge of space, reaching an altitude of 89.2 kilometers, or about 293,000 feet, Unity returned through the atmosphere in a glide. The spacecraft landed back at the runway of Spaceport America in New Mexico that it took off from earlier. By the way, uh, I looked at it, I was like, where is that exactly? It's um, If you're familiar with New Mexico or Interstate 10, you'll remember seeing signs for Las Cruces uh, and perhaps uh, Truth or Consequences, which is an unusually named town in New Mexico, uh, apparently a named for the radio show Truth or Consequences. Um, and it's just a little bit to the west of White Sands Missile Range in New Mexico. And uh, so they built a uh, how many square feet uh, big um, 880,000 square mile I don't know anyway a big spaceport area complex complex yes um, okay so continuing on with the article uh, it was flawless Virgin Galactic CEO Michael Colglazier told CNBC ab about the flight. Pilots C.J. 
Sturkow and David Mackey flew Unity. The pair have previously flown to space, as well as fellow Virgin Galactic pilots Michael Such, Masucci, and Mark Stuckey, and Chief Astronaut Trainer Beth Moses, who have each been given astronaut wings after the company's first two space flights. The U.S. officially consider pilots who have flown above 80 kilometers to be astronauts. Uh, let's see, the aircraft is supposed to hold up to six passengers along with two pilots. The company has about 600 reservations for tickets on future flights sold at prices between $200,000 and $250,000 each. Wow. Coffee fun. Uh, the space flight. <laughs> You're going to spring for us to go on a space flight, Jeff? Oh, yeah. That's very nice of you. All of very us. generous. Sure. Excellent. <laughs> I mean, holds six, so we could all go together. Yeah, I know. Right? We just rent oh, the whole darn thing. We can't thing. all fly together. That's too mm-hmm. risky. Oh, that's right. Liz is mentioning that it would be a, a security risk for all of us to fly in the same vehicle at the same time because what yeah, if something. Executives don't fly together. <laughs> Uh, anyway, um, Virgin Galactic founder Sir Richard Branson was a, was personally in attendance at the spaceport to watch the flight. Watching alongside him was former New Mexico Governor Bill Richardson, who helped establish the $218.5 million Spaceport America as the company's base of operations and current governor, uh, Luan Lujan. Um, how do you pronounce his first name? Lujan Luan Grisham? Luan? Luan? No idea. Okay. Lujan. I don't know. Lu- yeah. Lujan? Yeah. Um, Governor Grisham. <laughs> uh, let's see. Yeah. So anyway, rest of the article will be in the show notes if you want to read up on this. Um, but um, some interesting photos, and there may actually be video uh, embedded in this particular article. I don't know. I can't tell right now. But uh, you can see definitely in one of these photos that... Uh, it says VSS Unity floats in microgravity at the edge of space during its third space flight on May twenty second, twenty twenty one, and you can clearly see the uh, the darkness of space and the slight curvature of the Earth. Of course, if you're a flat earther, you're thinking these are all made up and photoshopped. That looks like the real deal to me. Yep. All right. Um, and to keep us above 50%, it's Michelle Lujan Grisham. Oh. It's two last names. Well, then. I'm not sure how you pronounce that Lujan. Well, uh, this article but. didn't say Michelle at all in here. Nope. Just said Governor Lujan Grisham. Well, because she uses both. Ah, uh, that's her uh, last yeah, name. Her last name. Uh, gotcha. Well, there's no hyphen there. Yep. How am I supposed to know nope. that? It's I'm not from New Mexico. Suriwaja. Governor. Swivy Java. <laughs> okay, let's move on, shall we? Moving on. Yeah, to quickly. Yes, quickly. quickly, very quickly. It's a getting to know us segment where we get all caught up on what has been happening with all of us. In this case, just two of us. <laughs> Since well, three. or three, yeah, we have. Well, we've got Liz. some stuff from Nick. Oh, and we Liz. do have to, yeah. So Liz, uh, I mean, from Nick we'll, as well. We'll know a little bit about what Nick's been up to and why he's not here. Well, we're not going to find out what Rick is doing because we've just learned from the control room that uh, he is not going to be able to join us today. So but he will be sending in some feedback on that flaps thing. He has promised oh, audio, wait. though, about the... Uh, flaps wire control thing. Oh, uh, okay. He's going to be sending us in some... 
Okay, we'll have to block uh, what the half an hour to forty five minutes on the next show. Synchro wire <laughs> <The> failure <laughs> at least. Uh, <laughs> the yes. flap synchro. A good, a wire. solid forty five minutes. Yeah, I think, yeah. For him to talk to us. <laughs> it about may that have been a mistake detail. for me to ask him to look into that. That'll be the title of the show because that'll be the main part of the show. <laughs> yeah, it will be the title of the show. All right. Well, we're sorry to hear that, uh, Rick. If you're listening, um, you know that you're not going to be able to to join us. And uh, anyway, that's okay. Steph and I are having fun anyway. And Liz is as well. Yes. Okay. I always have fun. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking, and pardon the interruption. But as you most likely know by now, we did actually receive the audio feedback regarding the flap synchro wire failure issue uh, with news item two, and I stuck it in right there. So. When we were recording the show, uh, we didn't know uh, if Rick would be sending in something and how long it would be. So that is the current discussion we're having right now. But as you all know, as we all know, um, it worked out just fine. So thank you, Rick. And now back to the podcast in progress. So... Um, Steph, so let's see on, um, Monday of this week, we're recording on Thursday, the 27th and Mm -hmm. on, um, Monday, the 24th, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Monday was, there was, there was was a big, it was a big uh, deal. Let's see. uh, I mean, you know, you're not supposed to mention how old people are, especially women, but I think you're what? 47. Is that right? Your 47th birthday? At least feels like it. (laughs) I don't know. Right now, you probably do feel like it. No, right uh, now I do. I'm so. I'm not going to say she's she's um, much younger than that. I'm, she's not. Not even that in much her younger. 40s. Well, not a little bit. <laughs> I don't care. I'll, I'll say it. I know. Uh, well, well, we'll just say that 1982 was a good year, and you do the math. There you go. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, did you do anything fun? Um, spent time with family actually. Um, oh. so that was really nice. Um. So my significant other was in town, and my brother was in town, and his significant other was also in town, and my dad is here. So um, we spent a little bit of time out on the lake. Uh, summer has most definitely arrived here in South Kakalaki. I think the water temperature was like 85 degrees already. Wow. So it was nice wow. just to hang out in the water. Um, actually, my neighbor came out as well. We chatted for a while. And then we all went out to dinner and played some top golf. So nice. not bad for a Monday. No. I, mean, I had to work a little bit in the morning, but I definitely did not overtax myself that day. Yeah. Um, She's getting older. That's yeah. Great. And uh, work had a nice little barbecue lunch for me as well, which mm-hmm. was very thoughtful of them. Much appreciated. And um, yeah, it was, it was a nice day despite the horrible allergy issues I'm currently dealing with and have been dealing with for about a week now. So if anyone knows what it is that is floating in the air in the southeastern United States and making me miserable. Pollen. Um Pretty tell sure. me, but I, it probably doesn't make any difference. I still suffer from it, yeah. um, suffer with it, suffer through it. Not yeah. sure. Um, but it was bad enough that I was not able to fly on Sunday or on Saturday. Wow. Excuse me. Um, That's bad. I kind of started end of last week, scratchy throat from post-nasal drip, very sneezy, itchy, watery eyes, all of that good stuff. NyQuil. Um, and then kind of just, what's that? NyQuil. NyQuil. Yeah. <laughs> NyQuil. Just an ad for yeah. all of the medications. Um, yeah. And uh, you can hear it now still. I can hear it in my voice. I'm sure you all hear it too. My voice is just 
it's, you know, mm-hmm. you get that post-nasal drip and your voice kind of disappears on you. Ammonia vapor. I'm not sure, Arnie, that that's a recommended treatment for <laughs> allergies. You got to be careful because if you inhale too much of that, I think it will kill you. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. It's, it's a, a fine, fine line, line between yeah. therapeutic and a fine line. dead. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I was not able to fly on Saturday, which was kind of a bummer because the weather was gorgeous here. And I was really looking forward to flying all weekend before my birthday. That's kind of a nice birthday gift for me. Um, but. I, I rode along on, on the first flight of the day and actually I rode along on two flights. The first flight seemed like it was going to be okay. I was like, oh, okay. Actually, you know, kind of stuffy, but that was fine. No issues. Second flight. Nope. Definitely wasn't going to happen. Lots of sinus pressure. I said, yeah, no, mm-hmm. I got to get out now. And, um, then yeah. unfortunately calling one of the, the other pilots cause we needed two aircraft that day. And I mostly spent that day living on, um, all kinds of, decongestants and nasal sprays and allergy medications and throat lozenges and ibuprofen trying to decrease any inflammation associated with it and all kinds of good stuff. Mm -hmm. Went through like two boxes of Kleenex or something. I'm not sure. Um, But also ran around and just helped out ground crew stuff um, at uh, at the drop zone. So that was kind of fun. Different side of the operation. Worked in the uh, manifest office and help them out a little bit or got in their way a little bit. I'm not sure which, <laughs> probably both. Um, and fortunately the medicines that I took on Saturday were helpful enough that I was able to fly on Sunday. Um, and since then it's mostly been nuisance of a lot of sinus drainage and, you know, mm, losing my nice. voice and stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, I, I keep telling people at work, I'm like, uh, you know, it's kind of a good thing we're all still wearing masks um, in a healthcare setting because I can kind of hide some of that behind my, my all mask. All the snot coming out of your and nose. <laughs> all the snot. I'm like, I feel like, I feel like, a, you know, the little kid, like, that's just like got, you know, green things. You know, like, oh, great. Yeah. It's not, it's not, it's not that bad. It's not I a good picture it's, you're no, leaving us with. No, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if you're listening to the audio only. Yeah. Have a really good uh image of me in your mind. Yeah, we're, uh, we're seeing her on video right now. And as far as we can tell, there's none of that happening. No, there's good. really not. There's <laughs> really not. It's it's mostly okay. Yeah. Um, ah, it's just annoying more than anything. But mm-hmm. no, birthday was great. I appreciate all the bir- birthday wishes from, from everyone. Um, that's very kind. I got one more year until a birthday ending in a zero. Uh, Yikes. Dun, dun, dun. That's all right. Mm-hmm. It's just a, just a number. Yeah, just a number. Mm-hmm. And I actually, I've got friends coming to town this weekend. A couple of my girlfriends, um, we've known each other for 30 years. Um, and yeah, you know, a while. Mm-hmm. And I'm really excited to have them out here because um, at least one of them has not visited out here before. And none of them have all been, we haven't had everyone here together all at the same time before. So should be a little bit cooler this weekend. Nice weather for hanging out on uh, on the water. It could be a wild party. It's Girls gone wild. Girls weekend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I hope you have a great time. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Um, yeah. All right. Um, How about you, Jeff? What have you been me? up to? Well, uh, or I should we got... talk to, or should we see what Nick's been up to first? Well, we we could do that. Um, well, let's, let's talk. Let's talk about me, shall we? Yeah, this is one of my here. favorite subjects. Yeah. <laughs> you, um, you, you made the effort up. to be here today. Let's talk yeah, about I did. I made the effort to be here. Uh, let's see. I just got back from a four-day trip this morning. Uh, left on Monday. And uh, I, I managed to, uh, my timing was great. I evaded uh, severe weather again. I think the entire month I've been really 
or lucky as far as timing is concerned and getting, uh, you know, staying away from the, the nasty stuff. And uh, the, the closest got to it, uh, we got to it on this trip was uh, yesterday heading up toward Rochester, New York uh, from Atlanta. And uh, the there was some thunderstorm activity, but it kind of just moved from west to east as things do here in the northern hemisphere and uh, North America. And uh, kind of moved through Rochester and then out of the way. And then we just kind of went right down that little alley all the way up and had to do just minor deviations here and there, but it wasn't bad at all. And it was actually quite nice in, in Rochester, New York. First night was in Oklahoma City again. And then we were up in Bradley, which is Windsor Locks, Connecticut. And uh, we lay over in Hartford. And that was nice. And uh, found an, a nice little restaurant that uh, I ventured out a little bit further than uh, my previous layovers there in Hartford. And found a really nice little place called Trumbull Kitchen, I think. And it was a really, really nice bar slash restaurant with um, really good food anyway so that was my trip and uh, let's see memorial day weekend here in the united states uh, this upcoming weekend uh, by the time you're listening to the uh, podcast it will probably be memorial day or right after memorial day because i'm probably not going to get this thing published until monday night at the earliest because uh, the uh, media server that we use for uh, hosting these big giant three hour files. Uh, I've run out of room. I have, I don't have enough room <laughs> to put another episode in. So I have to wait until the, the June uh, time frame starts. So uh, I'll have plenty of days to uh, do all the editing and everything else. So that's a uh, look for it Monday night. That's what I'm hoping to get it out there. And uh, let's see. Um, I leave on Wednesday for a, three-day trip and uh, have layovers in Dallas and Savannah. And that's kind of it for me. Nothing else new. Uh, still singing on the weekends at uh, uh, several masses every weekend. And uh, yeah, having uh, really enjoying that. And yeah, that's about all. So as Steph mentioned, uh, we also have some updates on Nick and what he's been doing and why he's not here. And so we'll let him explain all that in this audio feedback from him. So let's see here. Take it away, Nick. Hi there, Jeff. Hi, crew. Uh, it's Captain Nick here. Just a little piece for um, our section on uh, getting to know you. Uh, I'm not available, I'm afraid, this week. I'm down in a place called Trebarwith. So it's a tiny little cove in Cornwall. Uh, it's the bottom left-hand corner of England, the bit that sticks out into the Atlantic Ocean. And uh, it's, it's a delightful area. It's full of rocky coastline and, um, you know, fabulous sea. Um, it's a kind of good um, surfing spot. And normally we love being down here because uh, we can sit on the beach, enjoy the sunshine, etc. But sadly, um, at the moment, we're having an unseasonably cold and wet uh, month of May. So we're da down here on, in a prime spot. We've uh, moved into a tiny little um, seaside uh, old cottage 
and it's the last cottage in the row before you actually get to the bay and uh, we have an, an, a lovely view of the ocean. It's a very narrow little cove but very pretty and just beyond this big old rock that sticks out of the sea called Gull Rock uh, I guess because uh, they couldn't think of a better name and it was covered in gulls. Um, but uh, sadly the weather has been uh, less than perfect. Doesn't matter to us. Uh, the weather's, uh, if the weather's bad, you just need to dress appropriately. And I have to say right now, looking out of these uh, great big rollers that are crashing in across uh, the Atlantic, the sea is the most fabulous green color covered in uh, white foam. Uh, and uh, there's been, you know, huge accumulations of, uh, of foam on the beach and uh, even up the street past our uh, little uh, cottage we've uh, rented here. So it's uh, the most sun stunning spot, very little internet. So, uh, you know, we haven't done much except to enjoy walks around, uh, done fun things with the dogs. And uh, I think tomorrow we'll probably, when the rain eases, go and see Tintagel Castle and have a look around there. Another fantastic spot uh, steeped in the memories of uh, the fable of King Arthur. So that's really us. Anyway, just thought I'd catch up with you. Hope you have a great show. Hope everyone's uh, fit and well. Happy birthday to Steph. And uh, look after yourselves. Cheers. Well, cheers, and uh, it looks like um, you, your camera came in handy. Ooh, my camera's broken. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had like um, my my laughter started a little too soon because I knew it was it was going to be played. There. Yeah. Um. There we go. Um. Great. Uh. Update from Nick uh, and his wonderful vacation getaway holiday, and uh, I'm not going to try to pronounce the name of the place that he said he was, but it's in Cornwall. <laughs> I can... Neil was there last year. Oh, Neil was there last year. Lovely place, he says. All right. I mean, it looks like it from the, the pictures. Shame yeah. it was kind of rainy and cool, but, um, you know, I'm sure they found plenty of things to do to keep themselves occupied and yeah. enjoy their holiday getaway. Absolutely. All right. Well, we look forward to uh, hearing more about it, uh, Nick, on next week's show whenever that is we're not sure yet but uh as soon as we know we'll put it on the apg community calendar and then you'll know as well everybody can know yep okay uh let's continue with uh your way to support the show financially if you so desire and we do that with uh jeff smith singing for us the uh, apg Java Jive. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Oh, yeah. All right. As I mentioned, Coffee Fund is your way to support our show financially. And several of you out there do, and we do appreciate you. And the rest of you, you're just a bunch of freeloaders. Just send your cash. Just send your cash. <laughs> All right. 
I don't mean to make you feel bad. There's space but, flights to pay for. Yeah. So, all right. Let's talk about two different ways to uh, join the coffee fund. Uh, that is the coffee fund classic method. And since the last episode, Vigner Ornwanison uh, sent us his recurring uh, contr- contribution. Gunnison? 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 Gun- Gunnison? I don't that's know. That's Icelandic. Yeah. Isn't you think it? so? I don't know. Us, yeah. I've asked that, him to send us some D. feedback and let us know how to how to say that. Kind of a T-H-C sound, I think. Anyway. And uh, we uh, have a new contributor, uh, Jose Sujo. Sujo. Uh, thank Sujo. you very much, Jose. And uh, that's one way to do it. And the other way is to become a patron of the show via Patreon. And we have a new producer, Platelet Films. And we have an executive producer, a new one, Austin Blake. Thank you guys for joining the Coffee Fun Cadre and becoming patrons of our show. So if you want to get off your duff and feel less guilty, uh, head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee and you'll have information there on how you can join this wonderful group of people. And now, time for feedback. Captain, incoming message. And this is when I say, Steph, do you need to take a break? I kind of do. Okay. Me too. I kind of need I'll be to quick take a little break, it. physiological break. Okay. Um, Chat room, and, uh, entertain yourselves. Yes, because uh, I guess we could do this. We can put uh, some, this. some background music on for them. I, well, it's intermission. I go grab your raisinets. And yeah, your just imagine that beer refresh music is playing because I'm afraid that if I play something, it's going to be something that Google objects to and thinks I'm ah. violating copyright. So, oh, there we go. Oh. What is that? Um, <laughs> oh, it's my it's that's my work phone. I was like, my phone. Is what on is that? I don't even know where it is. It's like in the corner <laughs> over there. So okay. um, you can listen to that. Hopefully that's not copyrighted yeah, that's by pretty. Apple. I hope not. All right. Okay. We'll be right back. <laughs> I'm going to mute it though. All right. So I had a little issue. I, I tried to use the, uh, the restroom uh, down here in the studio level of the uh, headquarters building. And um, I kind of bumped into to somebody. Would you let me finish a poo for once? <laughs> That's awkward. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's ready, though. I mean, hopefully you will be ready for. He's. I feel like he's still going to be. You're going to be interrupting him still. Though. Well, I know. He's going to be in the middle of something business. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm always interrupting him, but we do appreciate the fact that he sticks with the whole the whole show thing anyway oh yeah all right you ready ready let's yeah. dive ready. in let's dive in to the feedback let's start with this from captain peter um oh he sent some uh, crazy pictures uh, let's see if i can uh, show them to you while i'm reading his uh feedback hang on okay that's weird and uh, there that's one of his uh 
pictures while I read. Um, if I may follow on from Captain Nigel's feedback in episode 470 regarding Cathay Pacific's Canadian base closure, it has now been announced that the Frankfurt base is to close immediately as well. This adds to the consultation regarding the Australian and New Zealand bases, which is a requirement under their labor laws, and the painted picture is not pretty. This leaves only the U.S. and London bases, which are up for review as well. With the pay being much higher at present on the base after the over 50% permanent pay cut for Hong Kong base crew, I feel the writing is on the wall. Asian aviation, apart from China domestic, is very is a very sick beast indeed. China Airlines and Taiwan have announced a two-week quarantine for all their pilots. The bubble flights from Singapore to Hong Kong will be abandoned for the second time. Spikes in infection for the rest, where zero COVID has been the government's aim, is shutting everything down again. My employer, Acme East, uh, excuse me, I think I'm going through puberty. Uh, Acme East <laughs> is offering an early retirement, which I am seriously considering as I cannot foresee any improvement in this part of the world for a very long time. I've not been able to go home now for 15 months. Wow. And at some stage, this becomes untenable. It's a very difficult decision, as I, like you, still love doing what I do. However, the ongoing restrictions are taking so much enjoyment out of the job. It's a crazy world we live in, some parts more than others. Always the blue side up. Now, see, I think... He was probably uh, trying to illustrate confusion and craziness craziness in these pictures. But to me, it looks like this way everything looks to me in the cockpit when I have those early morning get-ups. You know, just nothing really looks quite right. <laughs> Sleep uh, deprivation. Trying to read <laughs> that ACAR screen. That's how your ACAR looks <laughs> yeah, to you. Like, what uh, is that? <laughs> where are we going? What's our yeah. fuel so, set? Uh, there you go. Um yeah, Peter, you're you're right. It's definitely a crazy world, and there's a lot of parts of the world that are still quite crazy for one reason or another. Some places it's COVID related still, and others it's, uh, you know, um, I don't know. Just refer to the news uh, item about Belarus. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, craziness lots of crazy for sure. things always, but hopefully, I mean, I I think everyone wants these situations to to turn around as quickly as possible, but. That's going to be obviously very dependent on what individual governments decide to do with some of these restrictions and loosening of of those things. And um, in terms of how the situation is with COVID, you know. And as far as, you know, people getting along with other people, can't we just, come on, let's just love each other. Seriously. All that too, yeah. You know? Yeah. That's what the world needs, right? Come love, mm-hmm. sweet love. Get together. And it's it's really terrible yeah. when stuff like this takes the enjoyment out of the job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we really do, are. you do the job because you love it, but when it becomes a chore and a hassle, and yeah, not able to get home for fifteen months, that's not that's not ideal. Yeah, that's that's horrible. That's horrible. Yeah. So we feel. I, for I mean, you, I can't even imagine that to be honest. No. So, Captain Peter, hang in there. If you do end up, let us know what you're what you're gonna do as as far as retiring early or what you know all right well thank you for sending in that update feedback um continuing on um this is from darren now you'll remember that darren is the one that makes these models 
Um, I, I love this feedback. Actually, this is one of my favorites recently. <laughs> so he says, I know this isn't specifically aviation related, but since it flies in the sky and will probably show up on an ATC radar screen, <laughs> what is he talking about? Um, here, let me kind of do this here and uh, show you what he's been up to. Um, I thought I'd share it with you all. I just completed this 170 scale Saturn V model rocket, which does fly, stands five feet, five inches tall, and will reach an altitude of about 500 feet. When I launch it, I'll be sure to send a video. Loving the podcast, Darren Nolan. Yeah, he, you know, he was the one that uh, did the beautiful work on the, uh, I think, the F4 Phantom. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. some other. Uh, very beautiful. realistic looking uh, models. Right. And nice pictures of them too. Like it was very uh, just artistic the way he had everything set up. Mm-hmm. And then, so I, I wrote back to him and said, that's so cool, Darren. I dabbled in modern model rocketry when I was in my teens, but I never launched anything so beautiful as that. In fact, I never, it was always a stuff from, what was it called? Uh, the name of the com- company. Uh, can't remember it now if it's on the tip of my tongue. Anyway, um, and uh, it was just like the stuff. Ronco? That, no, not Ronco. <laughs> <laughs> um, Estes, I think. E-S-T-E-S. I don't know. Maybe I'll look at the comments of the live chat. I bet somebody has already kind of hinted that for me. Nope, not yet. Of course, they're a little bit behind as far as the time is concerned. Anyway, um, but uh, so I, I said, um, are you sure you want to launch that thing? Won't there be a chance of damage? Thanks for sharing. Brings back memories of my dad. And this is me speaking here to uh, Darren. He worked for North American Aviation in the 60s and early 70s and had something to do with the Saturn V second stage, uh, the S-2. It was assembled in Seal Beach, California. Good. Uh, Just right down the road from where I grew up in Los Alamitos. Uh, Liz just said that I was correct about Estes. Um, Anyway, as usual, you did a beautiful job. And then he says... Uh, wow, that's so cool that your dad worked on the legendary Saturn V. I've probably watched over, oh, by the way, uh, if you're just listening uh, and you're not looking at the show notes, that's the model uh, that he has just con- uh, finished uh, creating and building, a Saturn V uh, rocket. Um, he said, uh, I've probably watched over 1,000 videos of it blasting off, and every single time I get goosebumps watching it slowly lift off with the USA and American flag decals showing through all the falling ice and vapor. You would be correct in wondering if I'm concerned about it being damaged during a launch. You see, last year I built another Saturn V that was about half the size of this one, and I'd put at least 20 to 30 hours of work into building it, Pictures attached. Okay, so let's go to the next picture here. Okay, there we go. That was the one that he built previously. And uh, let's see. On its maiden flight, in front of about 20 friends and family, it got stuck on the launch pad with the rocket motor firing away. It melted the entire lower section and even burned a hole through the metal base plate of the launch pad. Um. Here, let me see. I think we have some photos of that. Okay, he's um, holding the uh, remains of the Saturn V rocket, uh, giving us a thumbs down. And the bottom end of it is looks a little melty. Yeah, a little crispy. A little crispy. Yeah. 
Uh, there we go. And, destroyed. Yeah, destroyed. And then here's the launch pad, I believe. Uh, the hole that was oh. burnt through the launch pad. Do you see the, the blast heat of those little rocket engines? Uh, while I did figure out the reason for it getting stuck and I fixed it, it would be a travesty for this new model rocket to end in a similar fashion. Yeah, I'm thinking about the part where it goes up and then, you know, the, like the parachute doesn't come out or something. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what I'd be worried about. There's a lot of considerations here. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when are you launching it, Darren? Let us know. Yeah, I think he'll probably send us some. I think he uh, probably will. <laughs> some photos. He better. Darren, you got a, or a video I think he said he'll, he'll send, hopefully, as well. So there we go. Thank you, Darren, for keeping us up to date. And again, wow, um, I just don't have the patience to do something like, like that that you're doing. It's amazing. And then launch it. Ooh, very cool. Launch it. Yeah, bravery and courage that you have. Well, you know, that's the reward. You get to see it either uh, launch in all of its spectacular glory or burn up in a fiery wreck on the ground. Yeah, that's what would happen <laughs> if way. I did it. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, we received some audio feedback from Mike. Uh, he says, hi, APG crew. My family and I were recently traveling in Colombia where we had to take a half dozen flights to get around the country. Even though we spoke very little Spanish, we got around surprisingly well, and all the flights were on time with no weather or mechanical delays. It wasn't until we returned to Atlanta that things went haywire. Rather than write it all down, I recorded the story for you. Note that the squall that came through Atlanta initially, you know, we talked about the, uh, we heard the recordings of the, uh, the air traffic control tower, uh, north and south towers in Atlanta and the flights and everything else when this happened. Uh, yeah, they evacuated the uh, tower. He said, um, initially, um, let's see, the squall came through, initially had winds that I estimated to be around 70 knots. So that was probably what the control tower re was reacting to. After that, the winds were better and there was still lightning all around us. Things settled down, but that initial squall was very impressive indeed. Blue Skies, Mike Smith uh, from Maynard, Mass. And now we're going to listen to his audio. Hi, APG crew. This is Mike Smith, the Sonics guy from Maynard, Massachusetts. My family and I were recently traveling in Colombia, South America, where we had to make a lot of flights to get between the various cities that we were visiting. On the way back, we were flying Acme Airlines and got to Atlanta. That's where things went to hell in a handbasket. Through no fault of the airline, it was just the weather. We had gotten a five-minute boarding call in the gate area, and just about three minutes later, the most intense squall I've ever seen came through. The wind was horizontal. The rain was horizontal. You couldn't see one inch out the window. And then the hail started coming down. Lightning, it was it was intense. It was far more winds than what we were hearing on the ATC recording on APG episode 470. Uh, I would estimate that the winds were at least 70 knots. So after all of that sort of passed, there was still lightning in the area. There was still weather, but the worst of it had gone. So they, they boarded us. And uh, as we were sitting down, the captain said that they needed to do a hail check because of the hail. And so we sat there and we're waiting for the, uh, the crews to come out and do that. And about 30 minutes later, uh, the captain told us that uh, 
that the hail check they needed to do was actually going to be about a two-hour check. Well, we weren't going to sit in the airplane for two hours, so they got us out of the airplane, sent us down to another gate in the same terminal, and had us wait. And about two hours later, uh, they were able to board us onto the next airplane after they moved our luggage over. So we sat on the airplane, and the weather was still in the area. Uh, certainly not intense anymore, but there was definitely weather in the area. So we got on the airplane, uh, waited for a while. Finally, uh, we were able to taxi out. We taxied out. We held. We held. We held. Then the captain started telling us that uh, he and his first officer were going to be timing out in about a half an hour, but they hoped that we'd get out before that. So we waited, and we waited, and after 30 minutes, the captain came back and said, uh, folks, I'm sorry to tell you, but uh, we've timed out. Uh, we can't uh, fly, and so we've got to take the airplane back to the gate. However, there are no gates available right now because everybody else is stranded as well. So we hung out in the line, in the conga line, until they finally got a gate for us. Uh, we taxied towards the gate. We got near the gate. Captain called and said, we're sorry, but the gate we were going to is actually full, and we have to go to another gate. So we taxied over to another gate. We got there. We deplaned. They told us at that point that the flight was canceled, and there was, of course, the mad rush for everybody heading towards the, uh, the help uh, desk to find out if we could book another flight, get a hotel, whatever. It was 11 o'clock at night, or after 11 uh, by this time. So we got to the counter, and uh, as we were waiting in line, they announced to everybody that there were no more hotels available. So uh, we started you know, getting on our phones and seeing if we could find something. There wasn't anything literally within 40 miles of the airport available for, uh, for a hotel. Finally got up to the counter, and they were trying to help us book another flight. Now, this is a Saturday. They said the, the next flight out that we could get to Boston was Tuesday. So we started asking for options. We said, maybe we can go to Philadelphia, and then we'll drive our, you know, get a rental car and drive back. Uh, nothing available uh, until Monday. So we said, how about LaGuardia or one of the other uh, New York airports? They said, again, nothing until Monday. So they tentatively booked us on another flight, um, and we said, all right, thank you very much. Uh, we went uh, at that point to try to check on our luggage. I wanted to see if we could get our luggage, because uh, you know, if the flight was canceled, where's the luggage going? So we went down to luggage. We waited in the luggage line for close to an hour, and when we got up there and explained to them what we were looking for, they said, oh, well, your flight hasn't been canceled. It's going to leave in the morning. So as long as you're going to go with it, you know, your your luggage is going to stay on board. You're like, oh, okay. Well, according to the <laughs> what we were told, the flight was canceled. So at that point, uh, we were stuck at the airport. There was no, there were no hotels anywhere to be had. And uh, we were going to spend the night in the airport, my, my uh, daughter, my wife, and I. So we started looking around, and at, by this time, it's uh, two. Yeah, it's about two o'clock in the morning, and uh, luckily there was a Burger King that decided to stay open, and they they stayed open until about two thirty. So we got in line with a lot of other people, got some food, put our heads down on the table, and tried to get some some sleep. 
that didn't work too well, so we spent an uncomfortable night in the uh, airport, but you know, that's, that's the way things go. So our flight was scheduled for uh, 11 a.m. Uh, the next day. So we got uh, to the gate, you know, well ahead of time, got up there, verified that, you know, the flight was still going, that we were still on it. And uh, come about 11 o'clock, they said, uh, you know, we're, we're actually having uh, trouble with this airplane. Uh, I think we're going to have to put you on another airplane. Sorry about that. Uh, we're going to send you to, over to a totally different terminal. So a few people uh, with families turned around and started bolting for the trains to get you over to the other terminal. <laughs> about two minutes later, they came and said, oh, sorry, no, actually, we're going to stay right here and we're going to take this airplane. Sorry for the false alarm. <laughs> of course, there had been people that had already taken off for the other terminal at that point, so we felt bad for them. So we, uh, we, we sat around for a while. They finally boarded us, uh, got on the airplane, and, uh, and finally got on our way somewhere around 2 o'clock uh, in the afternoon. So it was uh, it was quite the quite the adventure. Uh, my 17-year-old daughter had never been through uh, sleeping in an airport before, <laughs> and if she never has to do it again, she'll be uh, quite happy. But uh, I do have to say that the through the entire event, uh, the captain was was very communicative, uh, very funny as much as he could be. Came out, always told us what was going on, you know, for better or for worse. And the funny thing was, is the captain and the first officer that timed out uh, the night before ended up being the crew that flew us out the next day. They got their FAA uh, rest period in and came back to the airport and they said, hey, you're going to take this flight. So <laughs> it was pretty funny that we were all reunited again. So, you know, stuff happens. But uh, but I did want to tell you that uh, what you were hearing for the winds reported in the tower in that recording of something like 45 knots gusting, that's not what came through originally. What came through originally was far more intense than that. And then after that, there was still lightning in the area, and that's why we, you know, we all sat in the conga line and couldn't take off. So anyway, just thought I'd relate that story. I hope everybody's doing well. Uh, tailwinds and uh, IPAs to everybody. All right. An eyewitness account, an AB, APG community member uh, there that night when that... They're everywhere. Yeah, they're everywhere, Liz says. <laughs> so uh, that's awesome. Um, thank you for that uh, firsthand report. And sorry about that. That's just a lousy experience when, you know, there are no hotels to go to and you just got to, you know, sleep wherever you can. I've been there. I've been there. Actually, I'm, I'm thinking of um, one instance in particular um, I was trying to, I was coming back from Europe. I think I was in Ireland. This was quite a long time ago, back in 2013, 20, no, actually I was just discussing this with 2011. So 10 years ago, probably. Mm -hmm. And I, um, I made it back from Ireland, back to the States. I, I had a layover in Philly and then I had to come from Philly to Charlotte to Greenville, North Carolina. So it was not the most direct routing, but there you have it. It was probably a cheap ticket and I, probably was a student at the time. So, you know, that's how that goes. And uh, got on the plane in Philly and we pushed back from the gate and then we sat on the taxiway for, um, that, had, that was when they just went to the three hour rule. Uh, yeah. So for like the full three hours because of a ground stop in Charlotte, we went back to the gate, got off the plane, and then we were immediately reboarded and we took off and went to Charlotte. Hmm. Um, so, but by this time I had 
long since missed my connection to Greenville. Mm-hmm. And because it was weather-related, it was not a uh, something that was going to be compensated by the airline, even though I had nowhere to go for the evening. Um, and there were it, it was kind of a mess in the airport, and there were lines of people everywhere at all the customer service and reservations desks and everything. Um, so I got off the plane, kind of assessed that situation. I went, you know what? This is well worth whatever money I'm going to spend for a, for a hotel room to not have to spend the night in the airport. And I booked the nearest and um, cheapest and least sketchy hotel that I could find and got some sleep and got myself rebooked on the first flight in the morning through the uh, reservations agent on the phone. So I did not have to wait in one of those lines. That's good. Um, But yeah, but yeah, you got to kind of, you know, think on your feet really quick when that stuff happens so that Mm -hmm. you don't get stuck in the quagmire of stuff. I think that uh, some angry, angry passengers and angry, you know, reservation or gate agents and things and you know, it's beyond their control a little bit and they're just trying to deal with everything going on this is something that i don't really have to deal with usually um when i travel i'm usually traveling non-revenue and so i don't have any protections at all um what little there might be but i've heard that when a situation happens and the flight's canceled or whatever and everybody you know lines up in front of the um whatever airline counter it is that you're usually better off to call one of the Call. 800 numbers, or if you have an app uh, that you can. So now, uh, you know, this was not the case back then, but now everything can be done through the app. And mm-hmm. a lot of times you actually will get a, um, the airline that I fly most often here out of Charlotte, um, they'll actually have a suggestion for what to do mm-hmm. next on the app. You know, it's like, oh, your flight was canceled or delayed. You know, you have this option or this option or call us. Yeah. And that's so much easier and probably a lot faster than waiting in one of those long, long lines and mm, standing yeah, around people absolutely. that are very frustrated and unhappy, you know? So, yeah. No one, no one needs that kind of uh, no. frustration to rub off of them on them in their lives. No, no, just, no. but no, thanks for the, uh, the feedback, Mike. Yeah, Mike. Interesting to hear. Good to hear from you. Um, let's continue with um, Moshe. He said, uh, after close to two decades at Acme Israel, I started a new job and a new phase of my career last week. I have abandoned the faltering airline industry in favor of the unmanned aviation world and am now working at a company that's making drone delivery a reality. The future is here. Uh, My question is this. Now that I'm no longer in the airline industry, what do I need to do in order to maintain qualification as an APG listener and qualified community member? I found a bootleg copy of the APG training manual online, but I didn't see anything about recurrent and ongoing qualification for listeners who have left the airline industry of their own free will. I hope there is still room in the community for a defector like me. Keep the drones below, Moshe from... Israel. Now, I don't know about you, Steph, but I'm thinking mm. we usually call a special meeting. I was going to say, we, we need to have a special meeting about this yeah. um, to discuss and see if we'll make an exception. Because um, it's definitely something that requires an exception. Otherwise, mm-hmm. no. I mean, he's he's asked, he has sent us nice feedback and he's asked permission to, to yeah. stay. That's He's got a couple of points going for him right there, I think. Uh-huh. Uh, Liz uh-huh. says something about uh, put him through the APG simulator. I'm not sure exactly. What, what do you mean uh, exactly, Liz? Oh, 
it, it, it's a, a very difficult, um, a very difficult weekend of tests. Weekend we of tests that we put you through. Oh, yeah. Well, that seems mm. kind of extreme. Uh, a little harsh. Um, I, you know, let's let's have a uh, we'll have a meeting and we'll, and we'll, we'll try an to figure this out. Meeting, yeah. yeah, an executive <laughs> meeting. But I think you're going to be okay, though, Masha. Yeah. We accept payment in IPAs or bribes oh, in IPAs. Bitcoin. I mean, you know, good Bitcoin. Let's just say Bitcoin. Yeah. How much is one Bitcoin now? Like, I think the last one was like something I just shy of $40,000. Don't even know. Yeah, it dropped down quite Ridiculous. a bit, but I think it's up to last, last I heard was uh, 38000 or something like that. So, Jeez. who knows? Yeah. So, Ridiculous. yeah, one Bitcoin would do it. <laughs> yeah. You know. Not greedy. Yeah, we'll not we'll greedy. keep you in the community for that. <laughs> yeah, we'll keep you there. All right. Thank you, Mojo. Um, let's see. Oh, we have some some audio, actually video feedback um, that we can play here. And this is an interesting one. Uh, I think we'll have a good discussion on this one. Bass Aviation, real ATC communications. I thought, Charlie, you up ground free? Yes, sir, I am. Roger, yeah, you're not supposed to go that way. That's golf. You're supposed to go in on Julia. You can't go that way. Can you come back to the intersection here and make a 180? Straight ahead, make it, when you get to the uh, Y there, make a 180 back and taxi back out, golf, Alpha, and Julia. Okay, uh, my partner in back says that we need to go to uh, Gulf Coast, so are we going the right, right way for the Gulf Coast? You're going to Gulf Coast. You just got to tell us what you're doing so we know where you're going. Taxi straight ahead on golf. Yeah, that's obvious. I need to tell you where I'm going. I wasn't quite sure if you could understand that. Nine five Charlie. Roger. Yeah, before you just before you start taxiing, let us let the other guy know when he taxis you and say, "Hey, I need to go somewhere different." Of course, I of course I understand that. I, don't lecture me. Do what you're supposed to do, then, sir. Hey, don't get smart either. Do what you're supposed to do. Ma'am, I'm stopping you from going where you're not supposed to go initially. Thank you. No, thank you. There's no thank you there. You're just being a wise guy. Just doing my job, sir. You're hilarious. Do me a favor. When you get into the bit parking, uh, I'm going to give you a phone number to call. I am not calling you. There will be a phone call today. Big deal. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I have questions. Yeah. Okay. What, what, yeah. I don't know if I'll be able to answer them, but go ahead. Was he confusing golf and golf? Like in terms of where uh, he was trying to go and wasn't. Mm, I don't, that's not the impression I got. The impression that I got was okay. that he just decided that. To go a different way than he had he initially been clear to go. wherever he wanted to go. <laughs> and thought, yeah. oh, it's, it's, this airport's not that busy. It was uh, Lakeland uh, Airport um, to the, uh, what, east of uh, Tampa. And uh, I don't know. Maybe he just thought it wasn't important to tell ground control, control, <laughs> uh, where he was going. And, of course, the controller is going like, where are you going? Uh, let me help you out here. Um, but apparently this gentleman, and I'm using that term very liberally yeah, loosely. or loosely sarcastically yeah. sarcastically <laughs> yeah all those um decided that uh this was some kind of um, an affront or a challenge to his competency or something i'm sensing and uh, especially when he says don't lecture me don't you lecture me 
hilarious. Yeah, you're hilarious. I don't just doing my job. (laughs) That's hilarious. I don't understand anything that was going through this guy's head. I mean, you just, that's not how you behave in this environment ever. You just say what you need to say and, and apologize. I mean, yeah, if you, I mean, even if you think you didn't screw up, you go, Oh, okay. Uh, what would you like me to do? We'll take care of that. Perfect. Let's get it done. Right. Uh This by the way is uh, Lakeland ground control that was uh, communicating with him. Yeah. It's just, it just makes sense to me, a rational and logical sense to like, you know, be as nice as you can, apologetic as you can, um, and, you know, say, I'm sorry for the misunderstanding and what do you need me to do now? I'll stop. You know, mm-hmm. that could have yep. Take care of it. so easily been resolved. Instead, this guy just, uh, you know, makes it um, makes a mountain from a molehill and yeah, got his back up. So um, and I'm pretty sure there sad. probably was a phone call. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm not going to call you. <laughs> I bet it. I bet it didn't go very well either. Yeah. At least not for this this guy, this pilot. Right, because you know they do. There. They do know. Um, yeah, my main man Micah says sounds like the same kind of guy that would have beat up a flight attendant when told to stay seated during it during taxiing. No kidding. Yeah, that kind of. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, they have all your information. What not to do. They know what your mm-hmm. end number is, and they know how to get your contact information and they figured mm-hmm. out what your phone number is, sir. And I'm sure that the FAA had something to say to you. So uh, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, here's Ludger's got a good comment. Uh, Ludger uh, anyway, says, don't, don't be that guy. Was it a citation? That citation? <laughs> now this, this voice sounded. One November Romeo. Yeah. This, this voice <laughs> oh, no, sounded no, 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 a little bit older. That was a, uh, yeah. century. Yeah. That was different. That was a different aircraft entirely. Yeah, I think that this, from, just from the sounds of it, and I might be wrong, it sounded like a much older voice, male voice, and and maybe, you know, he just was a little sensitive about people correcting him, you know, and so what are you, what are you saying? I'm too old. Some people are like that, but <laughs> some people are like that, but those yeah. people should probably not be operating aircraft either. Yeah. Well, Micah says to your question, Luger, about whether uh, it was a citation jet. No, but he's going to get a citation of some sort of another or another. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Anyway. Yeah. So there you have it. Um, the uh, little. Uh, Keep it pleasant, everyone. Keep it pleasant. Tense exchange. Keep it pleasant and professional, Liz says. Yes. Good idea. Good advice. Um, Robert in Mayretta should know better than to send us a question <laughs> regarding um, UFOs because we have discussed this kind of stuff on previous episodes. I'm trying to find something that would sound like a... Uh, here we go. Theremin. Yeah, there it is. All right, we'll play that in the background a little bit. Okay, so... I'm sure many of you, all of you probably have seen the uh, or heard about the U.S. Navy pilots that saw some strange things on their on their instruments. Um, and they uh, were on 60 Minutes, um, what, uh, just a couple of weeks ago or? Yeah. A couple weeks ago, yeah. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, he says, recently. it appears mainstream news is paying attention to these reports this week. Curious of your thoughts, especially now that the Pentagon has declassified these reports and officially said they can't explain them. So 
UFOs are regular. This is what the headline here says uh, from what? Uh, CBS News. Um, UFOs are regularly spotted in restricted U.S. airspace report on the phenomena due next month. And again, from uh, 60 Minutes. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time with this. Uh, Nick and I have mentioned that neither of us have ever personally seen. Um, well, yeah, I've seen things that are, I cannot identify what they are. And they're flying objects, or they seem to be. But I don't think that they're anything from, like, some other world. Or, you know, like an alien life form flying these things or whatever. Um, personally, we haven't. And we um, are skeptical uh, about these kind of things. And I think I'm not sure I did not see this piece on 60 minutes, Robert. Um, but I think most of the things that they're seeing um, the, the shapes of the uh, objects and the, how quickly they're moving and, you know, going dropping 80,000 feet in one second and that kind of thing, I think are, are happening on like um, infrared radar and that kind of thing. I don't think that any of these folks have actually seen like visually acquired and, and witnessed this kind of stuff going on. I, I don't know. My personal feeling about all this is that there is some kind of technology going on by probably our government that is, uh, has a capability of, of, uh, putting this kind of, uh, this kind of, uh, unidentified thing on people's, uh, instrumentation and sensors and that kind of thing. And I just don't, I don't, that's just my feeling, but you, you know, know my, you know what my, I think? What do you think? Aliens. Okay. Well, Steph is in the alien column <laughs> in, in many in more ways than meets the eye. <laughs> That's very true. No, uh, actually, I, I don't buy into much of any of this. Yeah. I like what Lane says here. Lane says, uh, in our live audience, had a bug that I could not identify land on my cocktail. Is that a UFO? Well. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> It is. <laughs> you have not identified it. Some, someone probably can. <laughs> um, What's that bug doing in my soup, waiter? <laughs> Looks like the backstroke, sir. Yeah. But it, Don't worry. Sorry. I won't drink much. Um, yep. Anyway, yeah, again, uh, I don't know. I, I'm not ruling it out. I'm, I, I think that there's a possibility for anything, you know, but I don't know. I just, I just find this hard to believe. I really do. And I've seen all the... Yeah, all the videos and heard the communications of the uh, guys and the uh, guys and gals in the in the jets and you know what they're seeing and I would imagine that it would be like whoa what is this or you know tracking and I've never seen anything move like this and it doesn't look like there's any you know physical propulsion coming out of it I don't you know it just seems to me like somebody's messing with them <laughs> and probably the United States yes. uh, DARPA and all that I think stuff. before we get into Captain Al's audio we should say ta ta to stuff okay. Uh, Liz is suggesting that before we move on with uh, some really, really good uh, audio feedback from Captain Al, um, that uh, we uh, go ahead and bid farewell to Stephanie uh, because uh, she needs to she needs to leave. And uh, I think this would be a good time for you um, to to go. No. OK. Uh, uh, the audio Seven minutes? I can stay through oh. this audio, and then I will... Okay. Okay. She's going to uh, stay, then she wants to hear uh, Captain Al's wonderful voice. How could I How could I miss out on uh, Captain Al's feedback? I mean, and I, have it's you, all about chicken nuggets. Have you? Yeah, it's not about chicken nuggets, though. So, just... Yeah. Oh, well, in that case, I'm leaving. 
<laughs> okay, but it's it's actually almost as interesting as chicken nuggets. Almost. I look forward to it. Almost. Yeah. And let me see, where is my here we go. Here we go. I'm trying to find the window that <laughs> plays all my sound clips. There it is. Okay. Here we go. Captain Al, take it away, sir. Hello, APG crew. I thought with your permission, I'd take a few moments of your valuable time to revisit APG 469, in which my long-lost Estonian cousin Alan talked about the A320 accident. Nick and Jeff did a great job, but if I may, I'd like to put a little bit of meat on the bones. The A320 is a 1980s design and the very first fly-by-wire commercial aircraft, so the computers are much simpler than that of the A330. To illustrate this point, the navigation database is updated via three and a half inch floppy disks. That's floppy disks, not a reference to an old pilot with erectile dysfunction. Floppy disks, for those of you who've never experienced dial-up internet or newspaper print on your fingers, are like USB sticks, but much bigger and just as easy to lose. Anyway, I digress. The A320 has seven flight control computers, two ELACs, elevator and aileron computers, three SECs, spoiler and elevator computers, and two FACs. ELAC 2 would normally operate the elevators via hydraulic control, and if ELAC 2 fails, then ELAC 1 takes over. If ELAC 1 fails, then SEC 2 takes over. And if SEC 2 fails, then SEC 1 takes over. So as you can see from a computer point of view, there is quite a lot of redundancy. It's the same setup with the trimmable horizontal stabiliser. ELAC 2 to 1, and then SEC 2 to 1. Now the ELACs and their backup SECs are a history in themselves. Airbus were keen to ensure that reliability was good from day one, so both Intel and Motorola chipsets are used, so as to avoid any issues with processor anomalies. In fact, the ELACs use the Motorola 680-10 processor, and the SECs use the Intel 80186 processor. Not even a Pentium, I hear you say. It's true. But in the 1980s, these weren't the top chips in town, but nonetheless, they were reliable, and that's exactly what was needed. Fact. I knew I'd forgotten something. Don't worry, it's still a family show. As I mentioned, there are two flight augmentation computers. Facts. Again, not a reference to an old pilot's medical issues, but in simple terms, your damping and rudder travel limiting. Limiting the travel of the rudder at high speed, and thereby keeping the tail attached to the rest of the aircraft. Not a bad idea in my book. Now it's fair to say that the facts do an awful lot more fancy stuff too, like sensing for wind shear and calculating stall speeds, but that's a tale for another day. Now the old plot, not to be confused with an old pilot, was a tinsy wincy bit wrong when he said pressing the flight computer push button to off and then back on again was like resetting a circuit breaker. On the 330, and presumably the 340, that is correct. However, the 320 is a slightly different beast, and it's more a matter of hard and soft. No, it's not going to be the same joke again, don't worry. 
It's a matter of resets. Turning the flight control computer off and on via the push button affects a soft reset, whereas pulling the circuit breaker, conveniently located on the flight deck, waiting 20 seconds or so, and then pushing it back in, performs a hard reset. Now, none of the fancy newfangled computers are any damn good if the metal bits they control can't or don't move as they should. And so we begin the cascading sequence of doom with multiple computer failures that Nick and Jeff described. Now, as far as I'm concerned, they nailed the sequence of events, so I'm not going to revisit old ground. But if you will allow me a short moment, I'd like to speculate. Something I'm always wary of, but nonetheless, I'd like to speculate as to why the captain was routinely resetting the computers. This was, as you will recall, a training flight, where pilots are practicing landing the aircraft. While simulators are very good, they cannot process all of the variables that go into the last few feet of a flight. So typically, pilots who've not flown passenger transport aircraft previously have to make a series of practice landings in a real aircraft. As Nick very accurately described, these are usually touch and goes. Now it's fair to say that the training captains who do this base training have to have A, a lot of experience, B, significant simulator experience, and C, big kahunas. Now that middle one is where my speculation stems. Sim training experience. When we operate the sim, we're often repositioning it to the final approach or back at the runway holding point. And if I've learned one thing as a sim instructor, it's that simulators don't like repositioning. Frequently when we reposition, one or more of the flight control computers will go AWOL, and the instructor will switch it off and back on again, and then all is well. The point I'm making here is that as a regular line shag, one would seldom perform a flight control computer reset, but as an instructor, one may be doing it all the time, especially on older sims. A normalization of deviance. Now, history shows us that this is dangerous ground, as it has been the cause of many an accident, not least an AirAsia A320. Now, before the APG lawyers get in touch, I'm not pointing any fingers of blame. I'm simply providing a possible human factors reason as to why the highly experienced training captain repeatedly reset a computer. Far cleverer people than I will be able to prove or disprove my speculative theory, so I'll leave it there. But suffice to say, in the words of the old lady pilot, fac and sex are not the same. And if you don't know what it does, don't touch it. Captain Al out. I knew there was a, a, a reason I stuck around for that <laughs> feedback. Um, always very well thought out. Um, He's a words very well analyzed. Yeah, yeah, I would I would concur with that um, <laughs> assessment of Captain L. He has a way with words for certain. Um, yes, he does. No, that's that's interesting. I mean, you know, that's why having folks like Captain L and, and everyone else out there in our community are so um, 
so valuable because they're able to fill in some of the blanks that we have that we might not know about that I certainly usually don't know about. And, um, yeah, it starts to make a lot more sense or at least some ideas floating around of why things may be happening the way that they are. So definitely speculation, understand that. Um, but you know, perhaps not outside the realm of the possibility of why. Right. And Captain Elf, thank you so much for taking the time to, to, to record that. And I'm thinking to myself, why didn't we ask him to address this whole thing to begin with? <laughs> so Next time we will. <laughs> yeah, we'll, have, we'll definitely keep Live that in learn. mind next time. So thanks for, uh, uh, for doing that. That's uh, much appreciated and uh, makes us all understand the situation a little bit better. All right. And so, he's keeping us. Oh, 50%. and Liz says he's keeping us Ding. above that 50%. Oh, yeah. I have to make the bell sound. Where is my bell? Uh, uh. Add it in post. Well, it's got to be here somewhere on my desk. Ah, found it. <laughs> there we go. Can you hear that? Right here. Let me get it closer to the mic. Yep. That's a real bell. Very nice. Okay. Lovely sound. All right. And with that, perfect timing. I have to say good, goodbye for the evening. And I feel oh. bad and guilty about this because I'm leaving yeah, Jeff. Going old. Oh, school. that's okay. But that's okay. Going back I, I to get... the OG uh, yeah. airline pilot guy show here. Exactly. Yeah. This will be fun. So, all righty. Well, I will definitely catch you next week. All right. Very good. We'll see you, Steph. Yeah. All right. Bye, Steffi. Have a good one. Thank you all for the birthday wishes again. I appreciate it. And I'm off to go um, use up another box of Kleenex for my Oh, have fun with that. All right. Bye. Bye. All right. So, look, it's just, well, it's not just me. (laughs) That's a lot. I have Liz here in my my ear. uh, So, I'm not alone. Although, you know, for those of you watching the video, you're thinking that I am. Never walk alone, Jeff. Never walk alone. Anyway. Uh, so yeah, this is, you know, it's been a while. So you you were saying Liz, that, uh, it's, it's almost my, the 10th anniversary, I guess. Uh, yeah, it was a May of, uh, so I think, yeah, it's right around 10 years ago when I rebranded my podcast to the airline pilot guy show, but actually I started my podcast, uh, entitled Catholic pilot back in September, I think of 2009. So a year and a half before then. So okay. been we'll going for a while. But we'll mark the 10th anniversary of APG. Let's do that. Well, here's a toast. Of course, I don't have anything in my glass anymore, but... Uh, no, that's fine. Yeah, here's to too, APG. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There we go. And then pretending I'm drinking something. Mm-hmm. Okay. There we go. All right. So... Okay. Um, so you've got about 10 minutes to go to three... Two, 10 two minutes to go. You know, it's not a... It's not um, something that's set in hard and fast. No, it's concrete or anything that we play the plain tale um, at the exact two hour mark. Uh, but we'll keep it as close as we can to that point. And uh, let me continue with some more feedback. And this one is from Logan. And he says, Hey, crew. Just came across this from yesterday. He didn't. He said it much better than that. He said, "Hey, crew, there we go." Just came across this from yesterday, May seventeenth. The flight came from John F. Kennedy and was en route to SFO. I know you've recently talked about the fines associated with these kind of flight disturbances, but my concern with this particular incident uh, is 
If this guy was snorting coke in the bathroom, how did he get it through security? And if it was, if he was able to get it through, how much, or how, yeah, how much drug stuff are actually uh, making it onto planes? Again, that's Logan Lynch, and the article that he's to which he's referring is from NBCNews.com. And the, t- the headline is JetBlue passenger acting erratically forces landing in Minneapolis, airline says. And this is from what is the uh, NBCNews.com. I, I already said that. Okay. Um, an unruly passenger acting erratically and aggressively toward crew aboard a JetBlue flight forced it to into a, an unscheduled landing in Minneapolis. Uh, Mark Anthony Scarbo, or Cerbo, a 42-year-old resident of Mechanicville, New York. I thought it was Mechanicsville. I think they dropped an S there. Uh, New York was booked on suspicion of drug possession. Minneapolis-St. Paul International Airport Police said. JetBlue Flight 915 was on its normal run from New York's John F. Kennedy International to San Francisco International Airport on Sunday when it was forced to divert to Minneapolis after a customer on board began acting erratically and aggressively toward. Okay, we kind of already covered that. Uh, the flight was met by law enforcement, and the customer was removed, and the flight continued on to San Francisco. Um, looks like that um, cell phone video recorded aboard the flight, and an attendant could be heard telling passengers that a passenger allegedly touched another passenger, refused to wear a mask, and made repeated trips to the bathroom. Well, if you're drinking a lot, you'll do that. Um, it was decided that all four flight attendants felt uncomfortable uh, with what was going on. This was the closest place to go, so we as a team made the decision to come here, Minneapolis. Anyway, um, so basically Logan's question is, okay, so they, they ended up um, finding uh, evidence of coke, cocaine on the gentleman, a white powdery substance, I think, and uh, asking how was it that he got it through security. And so I think that's a good question. I'm not entirely positive uh how that happened except to say that um unless you have some kind of a sniffing um you know drug sniffing kind of a device or a dog that's trained uh, to be able to pick up the scent of cocaine or other drugs um just putting the bag through the uh x-ray machine uh, going through um you know whether it's checked or or uh carry on um i don't think it will be able to differentiate between um, any kind of a powder. I mean, was this, is this powdered sugar? Is this uh, talcum powder that he has in a shaving kit? Um, or is it cocaine? Um, I, I think that there it requires much more um, and different types of equipment to yeah, sophisticated kind of equipment to to uh, pick up on that kind of thing. Again, I don't know for sure. I'm just kind of speculating myself how something like that could make it through security. Um, so maybe somebody out there listening who has um, information about this sort of thing can uh, enlighten us about how, how it was that he was able to get this through security. So I do know that even <laughs> like big giant pieces of metal, like pistols and that kind of thing, uh, make it through and knives make it through security all the time. Um, and it's pretty shocking actually, when you see the, the cache of weapons that make it through security every year, even with all the sophisticated devices that we have to, uh, 
to, uh, you know, catch that kind of thing. Detect it. And detect it. Okay. Um, that's, that's all I can really say about that. Thank you, Logan. Um, Oh, we got some feedback from Liz. Oh my God. Um, yeah, she's, she sent in some pictures. Uh, now we had been talking about this. Uh, several people have, uh, sent us feedback about this and we've, you know, this is a subject that is near and dear to us, and it's the uh, fire bombers, I think they call those things, right? Water bombers? Water bombers, yeah. And uh, here's some pictures of uh, the X Flyby, um, I guess those are ATR, um, what do they call those things? Uh, no, those are uh, de Havilland. Um, dash 8s. Dash 8s. Yeah. And, uh, but I think... The reason that you um, decided to put this in our feedback, Liz, was because you said um, they still have the Flybee colors on it. So they're not owned by Flybee anymore, right? I I don't think they're just leased. Uh, But apparently... They they saved on the repainting costs, that's for sure. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's expensive to repaint an airplane. And so why not just leave whatever livery is... Already on the uh, airplane, but uh, there you go. It looks like Flybee's out there dropping water on fires, <laughs> and it's actually not Flybee, but it you know was owned at one point by them. But uh, still a pretty airplane. So thank you, uh, listener Liz, for sending in that feedback. Yeah. All righty. Okay. Um, let me get back we, there. We there we go. Go to plane now okay it is now time a control room is directing me uh it's time now for us to play this week's installment now i should uh mention that you know nick is uh not with us this week and he was busy with many things uh in building up to this uh holiday that he and his lovely wife jilly took and uh so we suggested to him why don't we play a plane tale that we've played in the past and because several people that are listening to the show right now uh, are new and they haven't heard all of, I mean, I, I forgot how many plain tales there are, but it was, it's well over 200 and not quite 300 yet, mm-hmm. I believe. And so there's a good chance that uh, if you're a new listener, you've never heard this one. And I think uh, Nick was saying that this is one of his favorites. And uh, oh, so um, we're going to replay that. And, Without further ado, let me push the button here and uh, give you this week's installment of The Old Pilot's Plane Tales. The Old Pilot's Plane Tales. Coca Abel, Peter Tokyo, Nan Item, Canada King. As the apocryphal tale goes, there was a major at the front who, on surveying the enemy forces ahead of him, saw a perfect chance to attack. However, his small force wasn't sufficient to grasp the opportunity. Hastily, he told his sergeant to get a message to the general. Send reinforcements, we're going to advance. The lines of communication to the general, sitting happily in a villa some distance back, were somewhat complicated. The sergeant ran to the telephone operator and told him what to say. Getting quickly onto the blower, the telephone man contacted the radio station and shouted the message down the crackly line. 
the radio man smartly fired up his set, and tuning it in, passed the message on. Next it was given to a runner, who in turn told it to a motorcycle dispatch rider. Ploughing through craters and potholes, the dispatch rider drove up to the villa. He was far too dirty to be allowed into the presence of the general, so the officer of the day was called. He listened to the message and strode to the general's aide-de-camp. Having been given the message and looking a little puzzled, the aide-de-camp climbed the stairs and knocked politely on the door of the general's dining-room. On being called in, he sidled up beside the general, who was enjoying a nicely hung pheasant, and spoke into his ear. "'Sorry to disturb you, sir,' he muttered obsequiously. "'A message from the front. The major requests, send three and fourpence, we're going to a dance.' And so it was that the phonetic alphabet was created." Well, not quite, but back before the First World War, when communications weren't quite up to the high-fidelity quality that we're used to, there was a real need for a telephonic spelling alphabet. It wasn't as if there suddenly appeared a single alphabetic code that everyone used, because various different ones popped up all around the world. Even by the Second World War, many nations still used their own different version. The U.S. used the Joint Army-Navy Radiotelephony Alphabet. This became known as the Abel Baker, after the first two letters, and a similar one was also in common use with the Royal Air Force. This one was similar to the Royal Navy phonetic alphabet created in the First World War. A couple of the words are still in common use amongst civilians. F for Freddy and S for Sugar. As World War II progressed, America, Australia and Britain had their versions standardised by the Combined Communications Board into the Charlie Charlie Baker Peter 1, the Combined Communications Board Procedure Number 1. At least we were now all calling a love, easy, tear, tear, easy, Roger, all the same thing. But greater minds were on the job at Harvard University's Psychoacoustic Laboratory. Here they examined all the various alphabets from the USA, Royal Air Force, Royal Navy, British Army, AT&T, Western Union, RCA Communications and that of the International Telecommunications Convention. According to a report on the subject... The results show that many of the words in the military lists had a low level of intelligibility, but that most of the deficiencies could be remedied by the judicious selection of words from the commercial codes, and those tested by the laboratory. In a few instances where none of the 250 words could be regarded as especially satisfactory, it was believed possible to discover suitable replacements. Other words were tested, and the most intelligible ones were compared with the most desirable lists. A final NDRC list was assembled and recommended to the CCB. Some letters were obviously difficult, and some were really messed about with. Let's have a look at N, which in 1920 started off as Nancy, 
under the Universal Electrical Communications Union, Washington, D.C. code, but became Neufchatel at the International Radio Telegraph Convention, Washington, D.C., 1927. Not satisfied with that, in 1932, the Madrid General Radio Communications and Additional Regulations changed it to New York, which survived the 1938 Cairo International Radio Communication Conference codewords and the 1947 Atlantic City International Radio Conference. However, N4 New York became complacent, and at the 1946 ICAO second session of the Communications Division, the same as the joint Army-Navy version, N was changed to NAN, and later Nickel. Nickel had a short life, and next year it was changed into Nancy, and then later in the same year to Norma. Norma managed to keep going for a couple of years until Nectar came along. As sweet as N for Nectar was, although it survived the 1951 ICAO code words changes, it became a chilly November in 1956. November turned out to be a long month, as it lasted to today, some 61 years later. Some letters have had pretty exotic code words. C was Casablanca. Of all the gin joints in all the towns in all the world, she walks into mine. Some seem destined to dash around the world, from Baltimore to Brazil, Hanover to Havana, Madrid to Madagascar, Sardinia to Santiago. Zanzibar to Zululand to Zurich. So we ended up with the modern IKO version, which has remained more or less unchanged since 1956. Alpha Bravo, Charlie Delta, Echo, Foxtrot, Golf, Hotel, India, Juliet, Kilo, Lima, Mike, November, Oscar, Papa, Quebec, Romeo, Sierra, Tango, Uniform, Victor, Whiskey, X-Ray, Yankee, Zulu. The reason for all the changes were defined by the requirements laid out in ICAO in 1948. They must be a live word in each of the three working languages, be easily pronounced and recognised by airmen of all languages, have good radio transmission and readability characteristics, have a similar spelling in at least English, French and Spanish, and the initial letter must be the letter the word identifies. Be free from any associations with objectionable meanings. As more countries joined into the international world of aviation, it became obvious that some words were easily misidentified, particularly with the enormous variety of accents. Testing was conducted among speakers from 31 nations, principally by the governments of the United Kingdom and the United States, and the results gave rise to the list of words we currently use. Not only was the word chosen, its spelling, pronunciation and syllable emphasis was defined. For example, hotel isn't hotel, it's hotel. Generally speaking, or perhaps more correctly, phonetically speaking, the emphasis is on the first syllable, except for 
November, and Sierra, the middle, Papa, and Quebec at the end. Of course, numbers also had to be given the treatment, but they tend to be fairly distinct. However, one should be spoken as if spelt W-U-N. Three is tree, four becomes foa, five is fife, seven is seven, and nine grows to niner. Whilst the world of aviation and the military were getting themselves standardised, there were, of course, major communication companies that insisted on having their own. Western Union had one in 1912, and AT&T developed their own in 1917. These had strange words like X for Xanthippe, the wife of Socrates, and U for Uppsala, a city in Sweden. Whilst we are all supposed to be able to speak the phonetic alphabet, regardless of where we grew up, I still miss some of the more exotic words of old. Who wouldn't want to say Ursula, Coco, Eddystone, Francisco, Dado, Hombre, Tripoli, Valencia, Yolanda, an Exquis, or count with Penta, Saxo, Sette, Octo, and Nonna, all used in the past. As much as those might make you smile, the radio operators of the Second World War came up with their own humorous version, which started as A for horses, B for mutton, C for yourself, and continued with such gems as L for leather, N for lope, O for the wings of a dove, P for relief, T for two, V for España, and wife or mistress. In a similar vein, there are many brevity code words that came into use, probably just to formalize what was common slang amongst pilots. These are now formally defined in a NATO publication, but I can see that some have lasted almost from the earliest days. Perhaps the most famous is angels, a term meaning altitude in thousands of feet. For example, Angels 5 is 5,000 feet. A bogey is an unidentified aircraft and always gives rise to a giggle when someone calls a bogey on your nose, whilst a bandit is an identified enemy aircraft. The US multi-service brevity codes even includes tally for the sighting of a target from the old British list, which included the longer version, tally-ho. Tally-ho is a hunting term which dates back to around 1772 and is derived from the far more ancient phrase tally-hot, a war cry which literally mean swords up. Sounds nasty. This is, boringly, not an official FAA-endorsed phrase to be found in the pilot controller glossary, as the civvy world prefers traffic in sight. Others might amuse. Blow through doesn't give warning of Captain Al's likely behaviour after a curry, but indicates that an aircraft will continue straight through a merge and not turn with the target. 
something I was sadly all too familiar with during my days flying the Tornado F3. Feet wet or feet dry is to cross the coast, while posit asks for your position from a landmark. The fox calls vary depending on what weapon is used. Fox 1 is a semi-active radar-guided missile, Fox 2 an infrared-guided missile, and Fox 3 an active radar-guided missile, although in my days that call was for guns. Out of interest, a mad dog is a visual detection of an AIM-120 or 54 launch. A gorilla is a large force of indeterminate numbers and formation, and if one were to engage it, you might well end up in a furball, a call indicating known non-friendly and friendly aircraft are in close proximity to each other. Many are intuitive in that home plate is one's home airfield or ship. Others, many of you will know. Try this one. Bingo. Yep, that's the fuel state needed for recovery whereas Joker is the fuel state above bingo at which a disengagement or bug-out should begin. Buster is another old one, which means to fly at maximum continuous speed in military power, whilst Gate demands maximum speed in American afterburner or British reheat. On the other hand, Saunter means to fly at best endurance speed. Some words have even made it into civilian use, since a squawk effectively means the same to both an airline pilot using his ATT transponder and a military pilot with his IFF, identify friend or foe. Another might be Wilco, I will comply. There are literally hundreds, and since I would hate to risk boring you, I will leave you with this please feel free to try to work it out for yourselves. Winchester, tumbleweed bingo, spike in my six, sandwiched, bogey dope, parrot dead, hold hands, scramming home plate weeds. Good luck. I have no idea what he is talking about. (laughs) Okay. So, you know, Liz, she's still there. She's in the background. Um, I've asked her to join me on the, on the video, but she's so shy. She doesn't want to. She says something about not having expertise. And I'm thinking, you don't need expertise for this show. <laughs> I'm proof of that. Anyway, um, so um, continue to just be bashful and, and not show up. That's fine with me. They're They're missing all the wonderful very witty things that you're saying to me, but oh well, they're lost. Okay. Apparently so. Okay. Well, thank you, uh, Captain Nick. Uh, that was an interesting one. I'm all about the uh, phonetic alphabets and, um, look forward to next week's installment, whatever that may be. All right, let's move on with a little bit more. Uh, we don't have to go for the for the full show or the full three hours this week. Yeah, we only have a couple of more anyway. So uh, the next one that I see in my li- uh, lineup is from Robert. 
And he says that, uh, or he sent us a, uh, a link to a YouTube video. And I think it's a VAS Aviation video again. And it's about um, a Piedmont uh, Embraer 145. They had a burning smell in the cockpit and they did an emergency return. And uh, he, he thinks they, they handled it very well. And I agree. Again, Bass Aviation. Real Aviation Communications. Piedmont 6201, fly heading 245, runway 27 left, clear for takeoff. Heading 245, 27 left, clear for takeoff, Piedmont 6201. Philadelphia Tower. Piedmont Embraer 145, performing flight 6201 from Philly to Greensboro. Was on the initial climb when the pilots reported a burning smell in the cabin. Tower, Piedmont 6201 needs to return. Would like to return. 6201, okay. Can I help you with anything? Yeah, we've got a burning smell in a cockpit. Okay, 6201, maintain 3,000, and uh, do you want to come right back in, or do you got to run a checklist real quick? Yeah, we can come right back for uh, two summaries, if that works. Piedmont 6201, flight 180, I'll call departure. All right, 180, Piedmont 6201. Piedmont 6201, contact departure 2435. I told them they're going to bring you right back in for two seven right. All right, over to departure. Thanks for that, Piedmont 6201. Piedmont 6201, if you're up, turn left, heading 090. Left 090, Piedmont 6201. 6201, thanks. It's going to be Radar Vectors back in here, and you said you got a strong burning smell in the cockpit. Not strong. It, uh, it's kind of laid back for now, but it's still there. Okay. Laid back. Hmm. Laid back smell. Piedmont 6201, <laughs> because of the uh, equipment that's rolling out, just for precautionary things, declare an emergency, and you can expect 27 left. 6201. Thanks. And when you get a second, I know you're a little busy. Uh, I need souls on board and fuel uh, remaining in pounds on the aircraft. All right, 25 souls on board and they got uh, 5,000 pounds. Piedmont 6201, it's going to be uh, the ILS to 27 left. And uh, are you guys ready to pretty much come right in? Uh, just give us uh, about one more minute. Okay, 6201, that's fine. Turn 10 degrees to the left and uh, I'll have vectors in here in a minute. Sam left, Piedmont 621. I'm sorry, was that uh, Airport 10? Airport vehicle. That's from the Airport 10. I just wanted to confirm the uh, landing runway for the emergency aircraft. It's going to be 27 left. I thought I heard say 27 right earlier. Uh, we thought that initially because the pilot requested it, but we did change it to 27 left. Because we know All right, better. copy that. I'll be with you. I'm over by the emergency. Roger. Fox shot 21. Can you please let me know when the next emergency aircraft is on final? How many Fox are there? 21 will do. <laughs> uh, that's the fire truck, Fox 21. They're speeding this up. Piedmont 6201, turn left 350 for your base. If you're ready to turn in, let me know. If not, I'll take you across. All right, heading 350, ready, Piedmont 621. Fox shot 21, good. Give me a call for another Call sign is Piedmont 6201. Piedmont 6201, turn left 240, join the final. 240, join the final field size, Piedmont 6201. Piedmont 6201, you are cleared for the visual approach to 27 left. The airspeed is at your discretion. You're the number one and only one inbound right now. Towers on 18.5. Clear the visual 27 left. That's our 18.5. Thanks, Piedmont 6201. Anytime, guys. And that's like target damage on 6201, a visual 27 left. Piedmont 6201, Philly Tower, wind 240 at 6, runway 27 left, clear to land traffic, departing party arrival. 
Foxtrot 21 to Mercy Aircraft is the uh, next to land. They're about a four and a half mile funnel. So it's time for Foxtrot 21 at the furnace. Can you have the pilot changer frequency to 120 dash 425 Okay, I'll do that once they're on the ground. Airport 10 from CR1, proceed on to uh, runway 27 left. Proceed on CR1. Piedmont 6201, up to you. You can stay there if you want, or if you're exiting, that's fine. Just let me know what you want to do. Yeah, we'll just exit right here, Piedmont 6201. Okay, 6201, when you're all settled and you can stop there, the uh, fire chief wants you to switch to another frequency so they can discuss everything with you. I guess they're going to check out the aircraft. Let me know when you're ready for the frequency. Yeah, we're ready. 120.425. 20425. All right, we'll switch to 2425 one Thanks. Whenever they say they're done with you there, just come back to uh, the tower or ground control. All right, we'll come back to the tower then, one Okay, the aircraft was inspected, and then they taxied to the gate. A happy ending. And they did a nice job of uh, handling the uh, emergency. And again, the, just to recap, they smelled something that probably something that burning smell and they're thinking, well, that's not good. So let's get this airplane on the ground and let uh, the uh, me- mechanics kind of check it out and see what's going on. Um, you know, better safe than sorry. And uh, so they did a very nice job of, you know, coming right around uh, the pattern and back to the airport and uh, love the air traffic control communication, all very professional, uh, very well done, uh, from the uh, air traffic controllers and also the emergency by the way the uh, emergency um, uh, crews uh, and the airport vehicle and the fire truck and all that kind of stuff they were on a separate frequency um, for all of that so that's why they were asking questions like what's the call sign and which runway were they going to and that kind of thing but uh, vast aviation put it all together for us so we could kind of hear what was lane going has on an important observation here lane has an important <laughs> observation he whom smelt it dealt it well i guess maybe you could kind of uh call that a burning uh smell possibly i don't know if i'd i'd call it that they had something hot for dinner last night they may have had something hot for dinner last night that's for sure maybe some indian cuisine i don't know thai spicy stuff yeah anyway job well done to the uh, piedmont uh, Embraer 145 crew for. Uh, I wish Nick was here and he could hear how professional those air traffic controllers were. Yeah, he was always uh, criticizing the Liz, U.S. guys. <laughs> Liz is saying that she wishes that Nick was here, uh, so that uh, he could hear how professional these air traffic controllers were at Philadelphia. Now remember, this is not JFK. <laughs> yeah. uh, his favorite place for controllers. All right. Um, continuing on, uh, Lyle. You know what? I'm going to save Lyle's feedback because I think this would be a good discussion uh, with the other yep. crew members. Um, and okay. I think we'll just end with it's going to be a nice, uh, a shorter show it's for a, good a change. Yeah, this and this is a great, a great way to end the show. And this is from Gustav. Gustav is from Sweden. And. When I first read this, I have to admit, I'm thinking, well, there might be something that he just doesn't understand. It might be you know, something lost in translation or something. Uh, and then I realized that he was just being very clever. 
Um, so, and this is a personal note to me. He said, good day, Captain Jeff. Hope all is well. And I also hope that it is quite all right if I offer some career advice for you. You see, I've identified an opportunity to have an amazing story to tell at the end of your career. It's quite simple and will only take some minor minor effort from your side. I'm sure you can handle it. Hmm, I'm thinking, this is interesting. Presently, you fly the 717. Previously, you flew the 727. Now Acme flies now Acme flies the 737. So I suggest that you as soon as possible transition to that fine bird, then just as quickly move on to the 75767 line before the age of 63. Now I have to pause here for a moment. I'm 62 and a half right now. <laughs> that would be a tough thing to do in uh, 6 months get qualified. <laughs> on two different uh and i couldn't do it anyway contractually but anyway that's beside the point uh so do the 73 and the 7576 line before the age of 63 so that you can end your career at 64 flying the triple seven for acme okay well we're, we don't even fly the triple seven anymore why end your career at 64 you ask well here this is where miami rick comes in you see, if he could get you into Acme Giant, you could spend your 65th year here on Earth flying the 747. And after all, those previous Boeing models, this should be no problem at all. As a kicker, as soon as you turn 65, you can go to the route of the handsome Captain Jeff and get a Part 135 gig flying one of those Boeing Business Jet 787s as the 787 shares a type rating with the 777. This should cause you very little trouble at this stage. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then he uh, sent us a link to uh, the name of the headline of this from Simple Flying is Flying Mansion 787. Yeah, that would be a nice private jet, wouldn't it? 787. Well, mm -hmm. That way, when you finally retire, most likely quite wealthy at that stage with only a few gray hairs. I think, well, see, I have all gray hair right now. I guess he means just only a few gray hairs left on my head. So mostly bald. Yeah. Uh, you'll, you'll be able to say, Oh, I flew the 717, 727, 737, 747, 757, 767, 777, and the 787 and a steamship. <laughs> I guess he's referring to the fat dog and you'll never have to buy another beer again. While you get your books out and call the chief pilot, Captain Jeff, perhaps Miami Rick can explain how the 787 and the 777 can share the same type rating. Take care. Gustav from Sweden. Great feedback. <laughs> yeah, that is very, very funny, Gustav. Um, yeah, it would it would be quite, quite something. You know, I'm sure there are uh, pilots out there that probably can say that They've flown and are type rated on all those all those airplanes. Probably not a lot of pilots that can say that, but I will definitely not be one who will be able to. You're not going back to that schoolhouse. No, I I think I've gone through my last my last uh, upgrade training or different airplane training. I don't. I'm not sure I've had have any left in me. Uh, now you know you never say never, but uh, yeah, I think that uh, the Boeing seven one seven. You know, in uh, air quotes, uh, will be my last qualification and type rating. Angry Actually, puppy. 
typewriting, I should I should mention that the Boeing 717, the MD-88, the MD-90, all have the same typewriting, and the typewriting is as follows, DC-9. That is a DC-9 rating on all those Love jets. That. So right now, if you looked at my, uh, my license, it says uh, the type ratings are just the 727 and the DC-9. That's it. Um, when I flew the uh, L-1011, the Lockheed TriStar, our airline did not require that uh, first officers have a type rating as well as the captain. Now, on all of our fleets, uh, that's ACME's philosophy. Everybody uh, has a type rating. So uh, don't have a – it would have been a nice thing to have a, an L-1011 TriStar type rating on my, on my certificate. But oh well. It was fun flying it anyway. And with that, I think it's now time for us to wrap up the show. And, um, oh, I have to do all this. Usually I have staff or Captain Nick. So Liz is going to help me. She's going to put up some banners here. So first of all, uh, check out our website. Arash Mahin um, does a wonderful job of uh, managing the um, website and the website traffic and all that kind of stuff. And, helping me get all that set up. And it's airlinepilotguy.com and uh, lots of stuff there, uh, information about the crew and the community. And uh, Oh, Jeff, mention what you added to the website this week. What did I add to the website this week? Your, your road trip with Stephen. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, Liz is telling me to tell you, dear listeners, that uh, I added something to the website. And it's really just a link. I set up a separate page um, that because I mentioned... Last week, um, was it last? Yeah, it was last week. Um, yep, and yep. Stephen Ivy uh, and I had a, a little meetup in uh, Cobb County and uh, had, a, had a lunch on a Sunday afternoon. And I was talking about the fact that Stephen Ivy and I, about just about uh, just shy of a year ago, uh, took a uh, road trip across the country. Uh, Stephen was moving uh, one of his cars out to Southern California for a new job. And he asked if I would, you know, be willing to be uh, his companion, his co-pilot on his uh, trip out to California in his uh, Prius. And I went, yeah, that'd be that'd be a lot of fun. I'm not doing anything, you know. That was the time frame where the um, Mad Dog was uh, retired and uh, was waiting for my training on the seven one seven at that point. So off we went, and I recorded, um, or we recorded uh, some audio for I think just about every day of the trip and mm-hmm. we entitled it road trip and, uh, and to make it easier for you to uh, listen to that road trip. If you didn't get a chance to um, I put them all together on one page on the website and um, a, a link to it. And so uh, while I'm talking about it now, I'll try to remember to uh, put that link to that page in this episode as well so you can uh, check it out because it, it was a lot it's it was fun for me to listen to it again and kind of relive the uh, the great adventure that we had There's and some good pictures there too. yeah some good pictures that we took um and uh the uh some of the most memorable parts of the trip um really happened uh out west and uh in colorado we uh, stopped in um Oh, Durango. Durango, thank you. Durango, Colorado, where they have that small gauge steam uh, locomotive uh, train that uh, goes up um, the, the river up to uh, 
some uh, mining towns and that kind of thing. Uh, at the time, though, it was uh, during the year of COVID uh, in 2020, and they didn't have it going all the way up. It was like halfway up the normal route. I think it was about an hour and a half train ride up, and then it turned around and came back. But it was still a lot of fun. Uh, it was a, quite an experience. And then uh, we went from there up into Utah. Uh, Utah has many, many national parks, and we went to a couple of them. Um, Arches and... Um, trying to remember the other one that we went to canyon lands. canyon lands that's right and uh and then we uh from there went to hurricane utah right. and uh got some uh got some rest and then the next day we were headed for the grand canyon and we went all the way around had to go all the way down to uh, uh to um, um why am i having a oh, flagstaff flagstaff because the um the uh, Indian reservation access from coming in from the east, that was all shut off because... I'll they... be right back, Jeff. I just have to step away for a second. Okay. Liz is uh, taking a little break. Um, and uh, so we were uh, kind of cut off from that um, access to the, uh, the south rim of the Grand Canyon. So we had to go all the way down to Flagstaff and then up from there to the uh, south rim. And uh, so that was nice seeing the south rim of the Grand Canyon. And then finally from there, we headed up toward Vegas, uh, Las Vegas, and uh, uh, Parump, I think is the name of the town, kind of an unusual named town, uh, just past Las Vegas, uh, just outside of um, Death Valley. And uh, we uh, got to check out Death Valley. And then after we made our way through Death Valley, I think it was after, we um, went through, no, no. Oh, well, you know what? I, I forgot about the fact that we went through Zion National Park. We didn't really stop. We kind of just drove through a part of it um, when we were going from Moab, Utah to uh, Hurricane, um, Utah. Uh, but it was still pretty. Got to see some mountain goats and that kind of thing. Anyway, so it was a great trip. And uh, and then at the end of it all, um, I um, parted with uh, Stephen and I... Uh, took a train from Los Angeles to New Orleans. I think what would they call that? The Crescent something or other. And um, and then uh, after New Orleans, I think that was the last thing that I recorded was our my trip from Los Angeles to uh, to New Orleans. And then after that, uh, the next day went from New Orleans to Atlanta, and that was the end of my whirlwind trip. It was a lot of fun. So check it out. Uh, if you want to uh, hear all the all the fun that we had and see some pictures and that kind of thing. So, there we go. I'm back. So, uh, lots of other good stuff on the website. We are also on social media. I like to call it the social meds. Um, oh, by the way, we're popping up the, if you want to send feedback to the show, you can send it to feedback at airlinepilotguy.com. And that includes audio feedback. If you have a um, some kind of an iOS or Android device and has some kind of a sound recording app on it you can use that and then attach it to your email send it at feedback at airlinepilotguy.com also on the website we have a link to uh uh what is it called um sound um speak pipe. speak pipe thank you <laughs> speak pipe and that's on the website anyway lots of different ways to send us feedback and uh okay, on social meds. social meds uh on facebook we're airline pilot guy all one word and on twitter all uh, the entire crew is on APG Crew at APG C R E W APG Crew, and on Instagram, same thing APG Crew, all one word. There you go. Mm. 
That's our social media presence. And now, see, normally when somebody else is talking about the social meds, I am getting all queued up to... Uh... No, I, Oops, nope. Oh, I'm glad that one didn't come out. <laughs> um, I get ready to uh, talk about Slack. Actually, I don't talk about it. Hillel talks about it. So let me see if we can uh, find Hillel in the bathroom here. So, yes, I have a hidden microphone in the bathroom. Don't ask me why. <laughs> Hillel! Camera two. Hillel, Slack? Okay, but I'm dripping wet. All right, all right, it's fine. Let's come over here. Walk over here. Yeah, this is the tough part because he's just come out of the, he's dripping wet. Just came out of the shower. Uh, hang on, let me move out of the Jeff's, way. Jeff's averting his eyes. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm averting my eyes, so I don't see this. Uh, he, had, yeah, Thankfully, he's put a towel around himself. Okay, now, would you please tell everybody about Slack? APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. All right. And thank you, Hillel, for that. Always appreciated. And now, Liz, please. Would you pop yourself into our our uh, video? There you Hello. are. Okay. Hello. And uh, so there she is, our uh, our producer, director, and my assistant, and so much more. She's like a girl Friday, right? And um, that's me. This is the control room, a very very nicely appointed control room that we're uh, looking at here. So uh, thank you so much, Liz, for all thank the you. work you do behind the scenes. Uh, keeping us straight. Here's, here's my assistant. Ah, here's look at that. There's, uh, there's Poppy. Uh, mm-hmm. She is so cute. Lane was asking about Poppy. So. Yeah. How Now, how uh, old is Poppy now? Poppy will be uh, 10 months old in the middle of June. Okay. June 11th. Ah, she is so yeah. pretty and so well behaved. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, she's getting there. Yeah. With Poppy, she's pretty good. All right. So... Yeah, so she manages all of what we do here on the show, and Poppy and Jack, her cat. Of course, the mm-hmm. cat's usually pretty mm-hmm. self-contained. Not, probably not a lot yeah, you have he's... to do with Jack. <laughs> all right. There you go, Lane. There she is. There's Poppy. All right. Well, thanks, Liz, uh, for popping in. And, thank uh, you, Jeff. Thank you My for pleasure. all the stuff that you do. Thanks, everybody. All right. And until next time, wishing you all clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care, and God bless. Bye, everybody. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the airline pilot guy. Good day.
I used to be such a good, good pilot Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline, not a guy I fly Cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, 